by the numbers episode 81 i'm your host of the new season by the way means we've done like 121 episodes of this in total not bad but anyway yeah not bad that actually makes it in that case the podcast that i've done the most in the history of esports because even someone inside wow. like 79 episodes or something we ever got to 100 any of the ones i did yeah. hang on people are saying i'm low again is that your end sam Shall... yeah i'm putting my game i think up, they just lie half the time in it yeah i'm putting but my i edit you know what editing yeah. program tells you how loud things are so, like, am yeah. I the one who's mental, but I go in, definitely not, but your voice is just higher 90% of the time. I don't know if it's because yeah. you've got more bass in your voice or something no, like that, but what's going to happen now. When, as soon as I shout, as soon as I shout, they're going to say, oh, get a compressor. Oh, it's fucking loud, that is, like. <laughs> 10 minutes 20, warning headphone users. Yeah, I know. Love As opposed guys. to anyway. the rest of us that all use a massive speaker system for a podcast. <laughs> you daft little cunts. Everyone's Tell using them. headphones. Tell them. Head. Tell them. Right, anyway. Uh, so, yeah, it's episode 121 of By the Numbers in total. Uh, episode 81 of Return of By the Numbers. But how could it be the return 81 times? Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, we're going to, I'm going to flip the script a little bit, Duncan, because usually we do events first, news at the end. And I feel like there's been so much news. I want to do news first. And the events weren't all that yeah, spectacular, were they? So, let's, um, let's get <coughs> over with. So, why don't we start with the NIP announcement, right? Um, I'll kind of go in order of priority. We were obviously talking about this just before we went live. I think for a while, you know, NIP have realized that where they're positioned hasn't been great um you know they they've they have the occasional tournament where they get to the knockout stages and maybe take a big scalp but in terms of genuine title contention it's been a while since you think of nip of as a team that can go to a tournament potentially win it up there with the big boys um so uh, lots going on with this announcement that NAP have made today, basically saying they want to start bringing in new blood uh, to to the team, and they're going to make some changes. Now, if you watch this show regularly, uh, all 121 episodes of it, um, you'll know that about three months ago or whatever, we just said we were going to fucking start saying that Plopski, the Swedish player, was the, uh, was the best prospect in all of Sweden oh, just it. because his name... Sounds like a sloppy poo, right? So um, it turns out... By the out... way, they actually, in Sweden, this is a real thing, they have a yeah, chocolate well. bar called Plop, and it's written never, like that. Never eaten that, mate. Never it's chocolate that. as well, for fuck's sake. Of all the things that you would... You could imagine just... Like, uh, imagine the commercial, the Willy Wonka-style factory with that <laughs> ripping down brown material that they with corn nuts and, and corn. I know. <laughs> mm, plop. <laughs> I know no one ever wants a plop, did he? Who's having a plop? Anyone for a plop? Like, no, it's outrageous, isn't it? <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, but we said because of his funny name that Plopsky was the best uh, prospect in Sweden. Turns out it might actually be true because he has been playing really well and um, he's only 17 and now he's going to be added to NIP. Uh, this also means that it's going to be the end of Dennis uh, in the team, which I think is fine. Uh, we'll get into Dennis's statement a little bit once I've let you break down this main statement. But then a, a weird bit just in the end where they start talking about Get Right um, is going to uh, leave. Um, and uh, I, I guess that it's being framed as retirement. It, it, it says in the uh, announcement that uh, Get Right um, will um, stop uh, competing 
uh, after the Berlin major in, in 2019, and they will start looking for a suitable long-term replacement, but they're not going to get rid of him until they're comfortable with the replacement. But when they do get the replacement, he's going to uh, transition into a different role, um, whatever that might take. So a bit of a strange announcement there, because it's like, it's a, it's a retirement, but maybe it isn't. Uh, blah, blah, blah. But again, I'm sure you've got your own thoughts about it. But look, I, I think right just as the entry point to talk about this, I think we've known for a while that NIP has sort of been cruising along, uh, not really doing too much, never bad enough to be an embarrassment, but never good enough to be a winner. No, that's actually the thing also that in a weird way has been a bit depressing about this era, this particular core of NIP is mm. that in some ways you could actually argue they were more consistent than some of the past NIP lineups. Like they had a lot of times, as you say, they were a playoff team in most tournaments. I even made a video where I showed that bizarrely they basically used to always play the better teams like close but losing three maps, but they could also play a worse team close in three maps and barely win. So it's like they were they were always like just far enough away from greatness that they never were really going to get it. But they also were never like bad outright. They were always a solid team. They're always a top 10 team. But the reason why that was kind of underwhelming is because the one thing NIP used to have going in the years before was like, yeah, at times they could be a bad team, but then they'd have the nip magic win, wouldn't they? They'd have the one tournament where they'd do a miracle win, take the whole event. Well, that's the thing. This era of nip was never going to do that. They just, they didn't ever have a string of games that were ever that dominating like that. It tended to be pretty similar from game to game. And then you look at the lineup they have. I still think if you look at their lineup on paper, it's crazy this wasn't a, a better team. I know they don't really have a true leader, which has clearly been a problem for them for a long time. But just yep. the strength of the names, like it feels like they should be better. They clearly have a skilled lineup. So something about the identity of their team never fully hung together. So in terms of like removing Dennis, I get it. Like I don't necessarily think he was always the worst player. He certainly had times last year where he was pretty fucking bad. When he oh, came yeah. back from his little break, he was all right. But I will say, kind of in line with what he kind of suggested himself in his leaving statement, mm. I don't think he ever fit NIP, to be honest. Like, obviously, they initially brought him in as an in-game leader, even a role which we've mentioned many times. He had promised publicly to never try again. So I think it kind of shows that he was just in a tough spot when he even accepted that position. I never felt like within Nip they found a great role for him where he could excel. Because I do kind of think like, he could still be a good player in a different type of a team. It's just, just not an IP. So I think it's the most obvious player to remove. The other players who've had their issues are the likes of Get Right, who are the legendary players. And for obvious reasons, you're not going to be frivolous with how you cut a player like that. I can see no. why they're really you know using kid gloves on that one. Yeah, I get it. So uh, just to add a little bit about the the Dennis situation, you know, I, I kind of agree. Uh, he put out a tweet longer, which was barely longer than what a tweet would have been, um, where he said, um, as you probably know, I've been dropped from the squad. I was never the worst or second worst player in this five-man squad statistically. I'm I'm not sure about that, honestly. I don't think that's actually true. Uh, yeah, yeah. We'll ignore that for now. We'll let you rewrite your own history on the way out. Why not? Um, that's not why I had to go. The reason behind this is that we didn't click, and it's just hard to... Uh, hard playing without an IGL when there's no leader there's too many question marks and that results in too many arguments which is impact on the game itself <clears throat> I believe this possible. Is, yeah I believe this is best for both parties I can find a new home where I fit better and hopefully play with a real IGL wish them all the best in the future especially Rez one of the best teammates and players I've played with big thank you to NIP Hitchum and the crew so I mean what it sounds like to me here is that basically when Dennis didn't want to live up to that, you know, kind of weight of being the IGL, they tried to do what they've uh, done 
for a long, long time, NIP. And that is basically be a team by committee, which is a fucking disaster. They never work. And you can see as well, he's been quite blunt and said, you know, look, we've had many arguments and this has impacted on the game itself in the end. Now, you might see NIP and think that that's not the case. Generally, they don't have arguments in game. Generally, they keep it light and breezy in game. But things can get fractious off the server uh, and away from the cameras. I think because they were one of the teams that really had the first high levels of scrutiny in CSGO, they understand you know, don't do it in the game. Don't do it on stage. People will see. People will talk. That'll snowball and create its own pressure. They've always been good about keeping any issues they have private, you know. But um, clearly there was something not right. You can also even team. throw in, Rich, I'll say it, as a team, they don't mm. really seem like a team where they ever even had, like, the whole passive-aggressive tweets thing. That's more like a fanatic thing mm. from what I remember. But, like, obviously yeah. that's been a problem with a lot of squads in the game. I have to say, I, I agree. For all the things behind the scenes where I've known they've had a player that didn't fit or they didn't like or a guy wanted to leave, they've never really put, took it publicly. They've done a pretty good job keeping that under, under wraps. Yeah, well, I think that all, you know, again, just to get all uh, whimsical and historical for a moment, I think that actually dates back to when they had that documentary crew um, filming them, um, you know, like pretty much round the clock uh, at DreamHack Winter 2013, which was, of course, meant to be the major they won. Sure. Uh, which, of course, it didn't turn out that way, and they had that, uh, you know, upset defeat against Fnatic. And um, it was all caught on camera. And, um, you know, there's stories about that, you know, like Freibo pushing a cameraman out the way when they tried to stick a camera in his face and they were super disappointed. And, sure. and, and, I, and I think they learned very early on about the sort of level of scrutiny the game had the potential to get as we entered into that early stages of it actually being, um, you know, fiscally... Um, you know, proper, f fiscally reasonable to host eSports tournaments around and have a team for. Um, so, that, yeah, they've definitely been good about not airing their dirty linen in public. That being said as well, I, I think with um, Dennis being brought into the team, I almost feel like, I don't want to say it was a Hail Mary, but but I think he everybody identified he was too good a player to be in free agency, but there yes. wasn't really a Swedish team no. That could have took him, and that was either commensurate to his talents or really had a role where he could slot in and, and be himself. So I do feel immensely sorry for him. He that probably he should have been on a phase or a mouse spot. Some of the teams I've heard, you know, yeah. potentially connected with in the past, he probably should have been on one of those squads. Yeah, well, you know, there was the mouse sports thing, I think, nearly happened, right? Yes. Uh, and, uh, so so I, I, I think what happened to Dennis was that he, he basically. He took an offer that seemed good on paper. You get to stay in Sweden. You get to play with Swedes. But the role wasn't right and the chemistry wasn't right. And uh, it, it's potentially set back his career irreparably, sure. honestly, because he was in a very good place when he when he moved into free agency. Everybody was talking about what a great player he was. He was considered one of the best pistol players in the world. He was putting out unbelievable fragging statistics at that time. So it was just um so it's just a shame the way it's all worked out. Um just in terms as well of as this you said um you understand why they're handling uh, and I uh, the get right transition out uh with kid gloves. Um it's it's interesting to me a lot I've seen a lot of people getting on get right's case uh lately. He has had pretty bad stats over most of the year. Yeah, yeah, and I, and look, and I think we need to obviously talk about that, right? Sure, he uh, he he's had bad statistics, no doubt about it. I, I well, at least, especially in the context of you know being get right. Yeah, that that's what I mean. I I think this is, 
I think this is part of the the uh, cross the bear of having been one of the greatest players to ever touch the game. That when your stats do go off a cliff, this isn't like some forgivable thing where it's like we'll say, oh, okay, you know, but like, let's be real. When he was at his peak, it wasn't sustainable to be that good. I mean, get right sustained being unreal. It's unbelievably across, consistent, yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, pretty much since he, he might have had like a half a decade run across 1.6 of CS score those years. It was mental how good he was yeah. for how long. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, I, I think there was always going to be a dip. And when you also factor in, this is somebody who's had personal problems. Sure. Uh, this is somebody who's had really bad health problems. Um, Some irreconcilable, essentially. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, he's had to make lots of lifestyle changes and everything. I, I, I think it's forgivable that he's had the dip that he has. Um, and I'll also say I don't think it's as bad as some people uh, believe it to be. Like, I'm going to just bring up the graph in front of me, and I don't know if you want to do it uh, as well, Sam. Just the uh, his HLTV stats. Yeah, you will notice a, uh, a very pronounced drop-off, um, you know, and, and it has been a consistent downward trajectory to the point where pretty much in 2019, he's almost at a career low, um, where he's very regularly having ratings below 1.0 and stuff. But I still think that with Forrest maintaining an unbelievable level of consistency, um, and the fact that those two players have a great understanding and can play off each other. I think Rez has been, uh, you know, revelatory uh, of late. Uh, Jury might still be out on Lecro a, a little bit for me, um, especially because he's the guy that's doing the IG, the in-game leadership role. So I don't really know if we have a gauge room. I still could see that if, if Plopsky can do the heavy lifting and, and blossom into the talent we all hope he's going to be, I could still see a role for Get Right in this team and this team actually still be successful. But there is no getting away from the fact that currently Christopher's a shadow of the player uh, that he once was. The key thing for me with the whole Get Right angle, and this is one of those things where, sadly, people don't tend to ask these questions in interviews. It's tough to get an answer. Like, I would really like to know how they see his role in NIP at the moment. Because if they could convince me that he's just going to make a, a maybe not graceful, but a classy transition that like Neo and Taz did to being a supportive element in a team and he's going to set other people up to succeed and he doesn't have to take a lot of resources, then I could buy into the idea that let's make use of this guy's experience. Let's make use of the fact he's a great teammate and is a winner and someone who's been very consistent. Let's use all those factors to our advantage. Problem is, if he's getting any kind of like dictation over where he plays and his role and these things, then I do see him as someone that you can definitely upgrade and you could. it's even worth trying a new player out for because I, I kind of see it similarly in Nip. Basically, outside of Rez and... Um, well, I, I don't think I'd even conclude that. I think it's basically just Rez and Forrest are the only players I'd definitely keep. Lecro, I'm on the fence with. I also wouldn't mind if you had a, if you had a great prospect to replace him with, or if you could get a Fnatic player. Obviously, I think I would do that instantly. So I kind of feel like it's a team where it's not a one-player move anyway. I don't think that one player, even if Popsky turns up really good, takes him to the top. I feel like it is a process where you, you are transitioning from the get right in there forest era of their main players to one in which maybe it's only the forest era or maybe it's foresting and then get rights playing a very 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 much reduced role and you let other people be starring elements so that's the key thing for me is i want to know if nip actually like 
are you is he does he have to still be get right if he does he can't do it anymore i can tell you that he just can't be get right anymore i've watched him for many yeah. many many games if he's going to be a different player and we're going to ignore that his name's get right but he can do that role then i'm up for it because as people may notice as much as i may be harsh on players when i know someone has a limited job and they do that i'll give those guys a lot of leeway when i know you can contribute something to a team i'll give the Fogleys, the steakers of the world some space to pr to prove be otherwise that they they're better than the 0 0.6 rate fpr or whatever they're putting up statistically mm. that would make them look shit i'll give them some leeway there but i i'm kind of i don't really necessarily know that i buy that get right does that at the moment yeah and, and look and a few people in the chat have said that uh, and again I, I i can't remember if this is true or not because they do chop and change it seems quite often um that get right's been doing some of the in-game leading i think that has been suggested yeah. in the past but that might have just been a throwaway interview comments i like i never heard any big announce sadly it's one of those things teams don't announce isn't it yeah. i even said this in the past i've done tweets if i was tournament organizers the esls of the world I would just say at the beginning of the tournament, when you send in your sheet telling me who your five players are, please mm. put like, you know, an asterisk or whatever next to the in-game leader just so I can know on screen and the commentators aren't just using old information, you know? I don't think it gives away too much about the team. That's some critical thing you have to hide. Like, it would just mm. be nice to know at all times. Yeah, and 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 absolutely. And, and of course, it was as well, then that does give uh a bit more leeway know, maybe for yeah exactly yeah. well isn't that isn't isn't that what we always do in in the scene like i mean i i find there's like a weird inconsistent inconsistency there because he's been a legendary player you know if he is transitioning to the in-game leadership role and it's coincided with the different statistics like i think we forgive everyone else for that even players who've never been in any way legendary so um does seem a little bit strange to me that um there's especially nip fans who were willing to like nip fans are just weird like they'll let you get away with anything and uh, uh, up up until the point where they just decide that there's nothing you can do anymore to win you know to keep their love and then you know and then when you actually do retire and leave the team they then flip back and go oh god i can't believe it i can't believe it. it's like they they are a weird fucking fan base to kind of try and placate and and, and pander to um, but anyway, look, uh, so just the final question on this. Uh, do you think the changes, without even knowing who's going to be the long-term replacement sure. for Get Right, obviously, uh, do you think these changes are a step in the right direction? I mean, honestly, I just can't imagine it making the team any worse. Yes. Yeah, that, the key thing I'm is, at. like, what you're gambling is worth gambling. Like, you were gambling mm -hmm. a team where, realistically, the best-case scenario was probably to come top four in a big tournament. That was it. And lose. You were not top four and like, oh, we almost won the semi. No, you'd probably lose that semi. Like, that's that's the best scenario. And it's not like you did that every tournament. There's many tournaments you just made the playoffs and went straight out immediately against anyone whatsoever. So, yeah, I don't think what you're gambling is enough to say like oh well i've got this here so do i really want to gamble giving that up and say like, no even if the team becomes shit, it's worth the gamble to bring in especially if it's fresh talent people have never played before in the hopes that they end up being the next get right and forest and now you actually have an amazing team that's why i think it is worth the move again even though we can't know who it is but that's the other thing i don't buy the idea we're just going to go through and like you know sweden's just done for counter strike talent like surely we're going to have some amazing swedish players come through I don't know if it'll be Plopsky. I only saw him play a little bit in that Existence Galaxy team, which was the end of last year, under Barbar. So I haven't seen enough to maybe see that he's some hot shit talent. He looks all right. But then again, he's never played in a team like NIP before. And, and quite frankly, I've always said this. The thing about CSGO, 
compared to 1.6 is in 1.6, I felt like you could actually a lot more judge a player in a vacuum and just look at him. And you could see players who are on worse teams and be like, that guy's going to be fucking yeah. amazing. It's way harder in CSGO. That's why the people like Simple and Nico, that's why I call them prodigies. Like the idea they can carry anyone and do that, they're just not human, mate. Like normal players, the team you play on will have a massive, massive impact on how good you are. I'd even say a good example in the modern day, if you want an analogy on that, would be Amanek. Amanek has looked better on every better team he gets onto. But if you'd seen him on the first LDLC that I remember seeing him on, you'd never pick oh, this yeah. guy as a guy who's going to be on a top team. So, like, yeah, uh, he's an bad. example, I'd say, if he plays to the level of the team he's on. Um, so oh, and by the way, well, just yeah. as an aside, I'll also just Show maybe throw out there that I actually think it's quite a smart approach to what they're doing with Get Right. Because one thing I hope they can do if they transition him out of being a pro player is in some capacity keep him in the org. Because I've said this to you before, one thing that kills me is that we don't have legends who actually have any association to their teams that they made their legendary accomplishments with. Like, I'm sorry, no, like, remember, CSGO fans will barely even know Forrest ever played for Fnatic, their main rival. And they definitely won't understand that he was at one point in time the most legendary player Fnatic had. Because yeah. that's the sad thing. Unlike, like, you, I guarantee if you go this year, you'll find some kind of a charity thing or something where Alan Shearer will do something with Newcastle Football Club, maybe a youth program. If you go with the Lakers, Kobe Bryant will heavily be involved, inquired with about potential moves. Maybe they'll ask his opinion on a coaching change. What sucks about esports is our legends don't remain remain like, you know, kind of a Rushmore, Mount Rushmore figure for their team going forwards because they have such short careers, they have so many contentious negotiations over contracts and stuff. So I hope that this is Heaton or someone himself within NIP realizing he never was able to do that with, you know, SK and other teams he was in. And that we've got to also start on the back end of people's careers, keeping them involved in the business. Because if you can market and uh, get right a forest when they're beyond their career with NIP, you can keep the NIP brand relevant and interesting, even if NIP the team isn't at that moment in the server killing it and playing legendary Counter-Strike. I feel like it's a big kind of like untapped area in esports. For sure. Um, so we'll we'll leave the NIP uh, stuff there. Obviously, they can't use Plopsky for the major, which... Um... They weren't going to win it anyway. It's not. It's fine yeah. to do that. They're, they're one of the good cases yeah. where I don't mind that they're basically going to half-blow the major in that sense. Yeah, exactly. I I, I totally it's agree fine. with that. Um, think that they they're legitimately thinking long term. This isn't like uh, a cloud nine uh, issue, which we'll get to shortly. But the other um, interesting thing that sort of happened was uh, sort of out of nowhere, um, Ghost. Basically, their entire team just fucking imploded, um, and um, you know it looked like they let all their contracts run <coughs> out. Now it's it's a, it's a strange one because Ghost uh, Gaming uh, seemed to be an organization that was willing to sort of you know look we'll operate outside of the Valve system we can still make money I think into I think they've been very successful uh, overall in picking up Steel um, who obviously is banned from Valve tournaments and I think they've enjoyed a modicum of success out of it I think they're a well liked team I think they've had a lot of positive attention I think the community has embraced what they're trying to do I think they have like Give a it... cult following don't they they kind of yeah they do have a niche that's interested in them for sure and and if I understand correctly as well, I I think um they're own they're owned owned by one of the guys that uh, founded Weed Maps, I think it is as well. I think that's where their principal amount of money comes from. Um, and they've always been quite a well financed organization. So this isn't like one of those bedroom organizations that um 
basically like have to get rid of the team because they can't afford right. um, money, right? Like, they, you know, they they've all, go look at the Call of Duty stuff they've had, like with their team house and everything. Um, so anyway, uh, it's, you know, crazy to me that they've just kind of let the clock wind down, especially so soon after they made a roster change, which was still wanting to bring in Freakazoid to help kind of impose a much more rigid culture and, and, and also have a bit more mental resilience for some of the younger players that he was developing. You know, he's turned Cooster's career around. Uh, he's developing Neptune. Um, you know, I think I understand that maybe Steele and Wardell didn't get along. Um, but they've still played together and been relatively successful and overcome that particular boundary. But um, then it gets weird. Like Wardell signed a longer contract, so he's still technically part of Ghost, even though it doesn't look like Ghost are necessarily going to have a CS:GO team moving forward. I mean, we we don't know about that, and so you've ended up with Freakazoid, Steel, Cooster, and Neptune all into free agency. Um, and, and kind of at an awkward time because obviously you can't pick up any, if you go into the major, especially you can't make any wholesale changes. Um, so yeah, just, just weird that it just came out from, from nowhere. I've uh, also got to say, like, I've just looked up now on Wikipedia the last few lands they've been to. Cause I was looking like the period where they had Freakazoid. Yeah. What did they do wrong? Go look at these tournaments. No, I know. All I know. the teams they lose yeah. to are teams bigger than them, better than them, ranked higher. Yeah. Like some of them, they even get hard done by. Like when they did that tournament, the DreamHack Tours. Yeah, yeah. their problem is because fucking G2 just lost that game to the Franks Frogs teams. They lose yeah. to a Vanga, pretty solid team. And then they have to play G2 in the best of three, a team that's actually above their pay grade. So mm. I'm not even sure. I, the, it's not even like the results demand this, you know. I realize the placings aren't good. Yeah, it's going to look shit on your Liquipedia column before you open the tournaments. But when you look, go and look who they played, what were you expecting? Like, they shouldn't have done much more than this. So I would say over the whole time they've had the team, they've generally been a team that exceeded expectations. They performed better yeah. than they should. In terms of the talent they brought in, as you say, basically the only real talent they had in this team was they had Steel, who was much better than they should be able to get. But for obvious reasons, is stuck in a tough spot. And I thought that's why it was a perfect marriage. Because the whole point is, as an org, in CS, they were nobody. But if you ride or die with Steel, and he actually makes a team as he did, now you've got something. Yeah, you'll never play in majors, but you weren't really at the major making the top eight type level anyway. So that doesn't really matter as much beyond the financial aspects. That Yes, there certainly had benefits to being in majors. And he made so much of those players you brought. That a bunch of them were like, never was never would be and never will, you know, like that sort of players. The basically the only other yeah. talent was Wardell. Wardell was very legit initially, probably would have been signed away, but was whatever, loyal initially. Outside of that, I mean, I don't really know what more you could want. Like this seems like a team where if I had to guess, the investment looks like it must be fairly low compared to what they actually got for it. Like I know a lot of people out there who, if the numbers in the ballpark I'm thinking of in my mind, would love to fucking min-max a team like this and pay in theory quite little, very little for signings, and then get some occasional big upsets over massive teams, occasional nice placings, and all right, and generally, as you say, actually have kind of like a weird niche fan culture. Like, people fucked with this team mainly because of steel and kind of the underdog story, but in a way that was like way above the level of what they're actually accomplishing. I find, I can't... I kind of thought they had like that little cult following. So unless this is some kind of financial aspect, which as you said, doesn't really line up, seems like a weird timing to do the move. Yeah. Unless they were so delusional they thought they were going to have a top team, you know. 
Well, yeah, but this this is the other thing as well. So, um, you, you, again, we're not sure whether they're gonna get another CS:GO team. Um, the word outfit sounds very alarming because this has never happened in Counter-Strike, but I've always feared the real nightmare is this, is if you ever got a team that was weird enough that they had you under contract, in yeah. the contract they said they had to pay your salary to not play you, but they agreed, I'll just pay your salary, and basically unless someone meets this buyer, I will literally keep you in contract prison. You won't even have a team to play for for me. Luckily, that's come close a couple of times, but it's never really yeah. happened. Like most times, people did release the player or they agreed to a lower buyout. But like th that would obviously be the nightmare as a real contract prison where you don't even you can't even play for your team. There is no team. Mm. Um, yeah, and apparently uh, Duster has just said that uh, that Ghost are doing what a lot of the NA orgs are doing, where it's like, oh, we're getting out of CS for now, you know, like kind of like Rogue. CLG did also said, yeah, so did yeah. Splicey Lizard. Yeah. Oh, oh, I'll be back, of course, yeah. when they can uh, make some uh, r real money out of it. When what they, they should yeah, do like... as a joke is say, I'll be right back as soon as... What I'm going to do is I'm going to use all the profit I make from my LCS or Overwatch League team, and I'll build a team with that when I have it. Mm. Because yeah. that way, what's genius is it sounded like you were saying you were going to in a few years, but actually, you know, semantically, you'd never have to do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but so the, the situation with Wardell, I agree. This this could be sort of the acid test of um, how how uh, uh, inescapable these contract prisons actually can I be. I mean, if because... I'm Jack Etienne, I'm literally just spamming with like a fucking rotary, you know, one of those like robot dialers, like 24-7, this ghost gaming guy's number. Well, yeah, but I but I think I think that's actually probably why they didn't want to just cut him loose. Sure. I mean, the, the, the lesson here. I've no doubt someone will buy him. Oh yes, but the lesson here is to any pro: these two, three-year contracts that are being pushed by agents uh, will get you more in the short term, which benefits the agents because that means they get bigger cuts, bigger percentages. Um, but a, a three-year contract in CS:GO is insanity. As it's far insanity. as I can tell, we've had this discussion before, Rich. Yeah, I, it'll always from, hurt you. It'll always I, yes, hurt you. Yes, I actually can't think of one really good reason why it would ever benefit the player. As far mm. as I can tell, it doesn't. The player yeah. thinks sillily. Here's the, here's the reason I think they get tricked, Rich, is because in real sports, that is the best thing, is to get the long yeah. contract. The problem is it doesn't work. Our industry is nothing like that. So you don't get any of those benefits that they get from having like the five-year contract and whatever, the NFL or whatever it is. Like you don't get any of that. You just get all the downside of the five-year contract. Exactly, exactly. And and then you get added to the fact where it's like very often what they never factor in is that a lot of these contracts also have a reduction in salary Yes, you when bench. you're not playing, yeah. if you're benched. So um, you actually don't even get the security that you think you're getting. Yes. But of course, everybody always exactly. thinks, well, my team's going to last forever and no one's ever going to yeah. drop me. It, yeah, that's so, why it works for young people, isn't it? Because the young person can... That's the reason young teenagers, etc., make so many questionable decisions. is because they think if they take a certain drug, well, they're never going to be the guy who ODs. That doesn't happen to people like me. Like, you know, they can't ever think that it's going to go badly. And obviously, like a young player, beginning of his career, he's got skills. He's never going to think that in a year and a half he could be shit. Problem is, yeah. a lot of them will be. Now, we can use this as a leap-off point to sort of trend, uh, transition into talking about Cloud9. Because I do think uh, Wardell having been linked with Cloud9 before, it's a pretty good destination. Um, although Can't even you know, use an AWPA like that, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, look, Automatic's a great AWPA, but I think he'd probably rather go back to. I mean, Tim's just in fucking hell. I mean, like, let, let's just start by talking about the American miner that happened and 
this is this is mind blowing to to me, and this is this is the low point for Cloud Nine in in CS:GO. And um, when you consider that we're only talking, you know, start of last year, you know, they win a major, and it's all been downhill since then. But I mean, it often is downhill after you win a major, right? I mean, because the, the the only way to sustain is win another and win another and win another, right? So that makes sense, but nobody could have predicted it would get this bad. So uh, obviously we had the America... And uh, the killer minor. as well, if you think, Rich, is every mm. move they made that at the time was good and right didn't yeah. didn't hold up. Like, they don't have Kishim anymore. Flusher went yeah. back home. Like, every every time it looked like they did a good move, it didn't in the long run work out, unfortunately. So I, I feel mm. like they, as a result, it looks like they just did only wrong moves. Oh, I mean, it, it has been uh, just a catastrophe. Just so many errors piled upon errors. And it's just really strange to me because, you know, I know Jack, right? Jack is a savvy guy. Jack actually gives a fuck about Counter-Strike and wants to stay involved in Counter-Strike at a time when all of his little, you know, NA buddies are, are pulling out and telling him it's stupid. And remember, and he's stuff. in both LCS and Overwatch yeah. League. So he has really yeah. no reason to say in CSGO unless yeah. he wants to. So I, I, I do find the the way that this team has gone to be incredibly bizarre. And look, I, I, I didn't think Golden was ready to come back, nor did I think was he was the solution. There's clearly something going on with Golden. I, I'll always maintain Fnatic fucking him over was outrageous. But since then, you know, Cloud9... It just hasn't been a marriage. He hasn't made worked. him have to think about it twice, has he? No, <laughs> no, nah, nah, not 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 at all. And I know he's had health problems, and I know he couldn't go to events and whatever else, and it's sad. But you know, it, it just hasn't worked, and and they're trying to get this guy to put together these disparate parts, and I just think it's beyond him. The Cajun B move was a bit weird for me. Um, it, you know. He, I think he's a very good tenured player, but he's coming towards the end of his career himself. I think he's like 27, 28. Um, he's been around the block. He doesn't have any natural ties to NA. Um, I think there are players of equivalent skill in NA that all like Cloud9 should be able to get. So it was bizarre. But actually, since joining, he's played probably the best out of any of them. And in some games, he's even had, you know, high statistical impact than even Automatic, who is the fucking golden boy of this team. And then the acquisition of Vice, man alive. At a time when NA has so much talent out there, young talent uh, that is up for grabs, they go and get this guy Vice. And I talked about it with um, Hiko, I think, uh, in an interview I did for the Cert a while back where he was very glowing about him. But man, this guy's meant to be having his breakout year every fucking year for how many fucking years? And it's never it's happened. be three or four now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that, te that tells me that the cat just ain't good enough. Yeah. You know? Like, think about it. We, we, we never heard about Automatic when he played famously for like yep. six teams in one year. We heard he was decent, but we never heard he was going to break out. And then when Stewie2K basically said, let's get this guy because I like him and I played with him, and I think we can do some shit together on Cloud9. That propelled him into the stratosphere. If it was going to happen with Vice, it would have happened by now. He's had yeah. the opportunities. So I think this was a very mediocre pickup, especially when we just talked on the last episode, the embarrassment of riches in NA. Uh, you know, and, and you've got this Tens kid out there as well, you know, coming through. We had Oboe just go off at complexity. Like, 
Vice ain't the one, like, and was never going to be the one. So I, I, I'm very surprised about that. So, I mean, and, and that's before we even get into all the players they've let go or couldn't induce to stay or unfortunate events like with Flusher. Uh, it's just a nightmare. But anyway, you know, this team should have gone into this minor and still fucking qualified. So they lose, first off, to New Identity, um, which is a team that th the best-known player on this team is probably Relics. Maybe John G. A name Maybe that Dazzle. I actually don't even think I've seen play Counter-Strike since I was at E-League in 2016. You know, like, th this, this team is basically like, the also-rans of the also-rans of the NA scene. And that's not to be disrespectful about them. That's just to basically say where they are. I still think Dazzle's, you know, he didn't play great in this series, but I think Dazzle's a good player. Uh, John G fucking went off, um, you know, and, and Relics has been around the block. But as, as you rightly say, you know, where where where's this guy been? You know, what's he been doing? He's, I think, didn't he spend some time where he was like a fucking analyst or something for a while like you know but whatever that can happen right especially we know what it's like na teams meet na teams always a shit show always a dust up well the next team they lose to the quest straight cold 2-0 and this is made up of some of those like on the periphery young players the snakes um formerly of i think space station voltage who's been around for, for a while think he might have played in a dignitas lineup off the top of my head grim another vac sucks favorite young player that's going to be coming through exceed so these are players that have been talked about as having potential but never really been able to realize that potential very much in that sort of tier three of prospects um looking to break through at any at, at any time and th that team beat this tenured cloud 19 2-0 and it wasn't even fucking close mate i watched this it was they battered them on nuke mirage was uh basically padded um by a couple of like fucky eco rounds for cloud nine it was still 16 11 so i i don't know what to say about this cloud nine team um and uh i think rush came out and did a twit longer saying this is like a career low point for him um, I don't know. I like automatic must be someone give him the number for the Samaritans, but this is, this is absolute rock bottom for cloud nine. And what they need to do is fucking decide. I mean, the, the first big question for me, you get rid of golden vice and cage and B tomorrow. Fuck it. Cut them all loose. Like, right. The, the question becomes, do you want to keep rush? Can it still work? He's been in a bit of a funk. I still think he's a good enough player to keep. And then you have to build around automatic and you've got, you know, you need to tear this team down. This Theseus ship of replacing one player with another player with another player and trying to maintain some coherent identity doesn't work in counter-strike never works. So, um, it's a terrible time to be a Cloud9 fan. Terrible time to be a Cloud9 player. Wasn't the... I remember before they got Cajun B, wasn't wasn't the original linked move that they were going to get, like, I think they were going to get... Wasn't it, like, Config and uh, Juggy or something? They were going to get... I think they were going to get some Optic yeah. players. It was like a move Yeah, they were linked, linked with the Optic players. Because yeah. here's yeah. the thing. That's the kind of move that I want to see C9 make. Because I kind of agree. Like... Obviously, automatic's a player you can build around. But more importantly, if you can go to a top player, could be a European player, and you tell him 
listen, if you come to Cloud9 now, not only do, can I pay you mega bucks, I can buy you out if you're in a contract now, but the only player you'll be playing with of my current team is Automatic, who you've seen, he's a major winner, he's a very good player, and we'll build the team from there. Because that's mm-hmm. the thing. To me, his approach has been the opposite. He's tried to min-max. He's tried to get people that are sort of like, hmm, maybe this guy's on the outs of his career, but I could turn it around if I get him and maybe he's in spot. You know, he's tried to go the route of getting like players that either have a, used to have a good name or maybe they'll be okay now and hope he'll just hit a miracle lineup. All works, maybe golden elevates everyone's play. Instead, I think at this point, after this many failed lineups in a row, you've got to go the other way and you've got to go for the big time player. You have got to secure a big name guy where you're going to pay this guy fucking mega bucks. So that, that, might, that means it might need to be someone like Cold Zero if he's coming up on his contract. Then maybe I might have to be a fucking phase player if you want to gamble on someone. Might be, might be Dennis coming out of nip now. I mean, that's probably not the best example. He's not in great form. I would hope it's a big time player though, because at the very minimum, it sends a message to your fans like, hey, I might not have all these moves right, but this guy's a fucking player, right? At the moment, every roster move they've had of the last like eight. They were always like, I mean, I guess we'll see if it goes well. Like, even they weren't in on it. So, mm. just to send the message that Cloud9 isn't a team of mediocrity, I feel like you've got to go for the big, you've got to go for the big, big signing. Not a Hail well, Mary, a big signing. Yeah. I, like, I think it would just be nice to see, and, I, and I, I hope Jack understands the optics of this. It'd just be nice to see, right? You won the major, then you sold those players to MIBR. And we know you made money on that, right? So we don't, um, and every time I read a headline about Cloud9, they're getting some VC funding, 20 mil here, 30 mil there, right? I understand that for a long time, like Jack was running Cloud9 hand to mouth um, and was doing incredible things because he's got a great business mind. Um, But those days are over. And I think the fans are just like to say, a a big marquee signing just shows you you're willing to put money back into the team, that it's not an afterthought. Um, and it will give everybody a pumped up, renewed confidence ab- about the team. It doesn't even have to work out because look at MIBR, oh, exactly. it didn't work out. But the three to six months of hype that team generated before it became the sort of insipid thing it is now, where they're a bit of a joke, um, is is that can buy you enough time to maybe go out and get another player and you know maybe have a good tournament run or you know whatever it is that you need to do. Um, so. There was a report over in uh, Rush B that um, suggested that, um, and this was backed up, of course, by the old classic Twitter follow, which is the Cloud9 special, that DAPS might be coming in. Um, so, uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, listen, I think Cloud9 haven't had, like, all due respect to Golden, I don't think they've had the in game leader that they needed for quite some time. Um, and Daps can definitely be that guy. But also with that, they're also looking to pick up this kid, uh, Tens, um, who's this Canadian prospect, uh, Tens, T-E-N-Z. Um, and and a lot of people have been saying big, you know, good things about him. Uh, FNS, who is somebody who obviously is like, you know, didn't get his time to be a great in-game leader at Cloud9, uh, actually tweeted out saying, it hurts me to see Tens not signed, uh, to a two-year deal already because this kid leaks potential. It's it's gross, is what he says. So um, perhaps that's kind of alluding to something you might have heard behind the scenes. It might just be a genuine recommendation. Who knows? But that would obviously make it tens, daps, automatic, Russian cage and B. Which I'll be I'll be I'll be honest. It's not spectacular. 
it's not what I think of of when I think of Cloud Nine in terms of caliber. But man alive, it's a better lineup than what they've got now. I think. Um, and uh, listen, I know, I know, there's been a, there's a revolving door over at Cloud Nine right now. I know, like people are going to feel aggrieved for Vice and aggrieved for Golden. But again, just in terms of what's right for Cloud Nine. This cannot be any worse. You've just bombed out of the minor in two straight sets against opposition that absolutely has no right to beat you. And they outplayed you. These aren't flukes. Oh, and I'll I'll even say this as well. Here's the killer. This is like the absolute last nail in the coffin. Hmm. Right? When people get excited that you almost won a game at Alan, that's when yeah. your team is absolutely dire. Because that's what people do at the moment. People generally who are like top analysts, fans of the game from other teams, they don't really rag on Cloud9 a lot. It's not a no. team that everyone loves to call shit. All they do is sit around and then when they have the odd one best of one that looks good, people actually get excited. They go like, oh, hey, hey, Cloud9's doing all right, aren't they? Like That's how you know you're absolute garbage. You don't have to actually accomplish anything. And people almost get excited for you. Like... At this point in time, it's in a real, real bad spot. I don't, I don't think you necessarily have to kill everyone from the team. It's just that, like I say, the, the first step, if you just look at all the recent moves, it has to be a big-time player. And that's not impossible. That's just going to take a lot of skill and a lot of, like, you're going to have to really groom the player. You're going to have to talk to him for months. You're going to have to make him understand that this isn't another short-term move, that you're bringing him in for the long term and you want to build around him. I'd even maybe use examples from your other games, since at the moment CSGO is not the best example. You show them, like, when I brought Jensen in for Cloud9, you know, yeah. I swapped out a lot of my old players, but I stuck with him and I was going to build the team around him. We had a contender and here's what I did. Like, you know, there's a lot of ways you could do it, but it's got to be that big name player. Because as you say, it's not even that this one has to work. You just then send the message to your fans. Listen, I'm not fucking around. I'm only in this game to win. And if it ain't now, hey, you know what? It's going to be in two years from now. Yeah. And, and look, and you have to think as well about, right, Cloud9 is hands down been the um you know csgo team with the biggest fan base in na oh, easily they keep in mind we all know what you little fuckers are like you little cunts out there in cyberspace like haha you go to an event i am a phase fan phase get banged out haha i am a team liquid fan i've always thought out. a lot of Ha-ha, NA fans i am an have like four jerseys no I've they do they all do they all do but the reality is, I sort of, I, I'm at least willing to understand it for NA fans because oh, honestly, it, yeah. it's like it's like me and Sam will tell you about being a Welsh football fan. You know what I mean? We're never at the, the Euros, mate. Club. The fucking Euros. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Almost won it, yeah. we? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we don't fucking qualify, so we have to fucking support whoever the of fuck's course. there that we like the look of, and occasionally, yeah, that might be like, well, I'm going with Cameroon this World Cup or whatever. You know what I mean? It's just how it is. So I, I've got sympathy with NA fans for doing it, but the point is now. They do, it's not just about fucking Cloud9, is it? Because Team Liquid are the number one team in the world. So if you're if you're Cloud9, you, there's a realistic chance you're going to lose a significant portion, portion of your fickle oh, fan base. If I was C9, Team Liquid. I would be remembering right now what famously in League of Legends happened to CLG, where they were the number one team. They had all the fans. They were the best performing team. And then a team called TSM came along, had their own amazing run of form, and completely usurped them, and CLG never got that fan base back again. They had their own little niche fan base that was their fans, but that's what you should be looking at. Because, yeah, as you say, I, I, that's actually the, probably the key thing as well, is think of the level of success Team Liquid has had the last year and a half. 
They've had unprecedented success for any in terms of consistency. Yeah. Yes, obviously C9 won the major, but Team Liquid squad had a way better level of consistency, placings. Mm -hmm. And with all that, I would still say that I don't think they've yet overtaken C9 in terms of fan base. So as a result, it's still not gone. Like that, you if you make the right team in Cloud9 in the next six months, you can still have the biggest fan base. You can, again, stretch that out again. Because actually, I think Team Liquid's in the spot right now where the reason they haven't fully usurped Cloud9 is they've only got the fans because they're winning. Like winning's what's giving them their fan base and maybe growing the and lowering the gap. The difference is Cloud9 had fans who were just fans for a long time because they've had such a great culture there and they've had so many epic, iconic players. So if anything, now's the time you've got to strike to make sure Team Liquid doesn't properly take that over and become America's team. Yeah. And, and that is a big deal, especially when... Um, so sponsors you know, is fucking huge. I know to this day, yeah. if you can tell the sponsor I won, you know, the NA competition, as it were, like I'm on top of America. Mm. Well, if they're just a company within America, they don't give a fuck about Korea. They don't know what esports is in that sense. Like if you tell them I'm the best in America, they're going to think you're the best. Yeah. And you are for all intents and purposes if that's their market. So um, those moves not confirmed, uh, it's got to be said. So we'll wait and see what actually happens. But I think changes are coming to Cloud9 because I can't imagine this lineup gets another shake. <clears throat> They're basically embarrassing themselves and um, and the Cloud9 brand, honestly. I mean, this is this is the worst Cloud9 team I've seen in CSGO, I think. Uh, it's it's mind-boggling. Um, another free agent in NA right now is uh, JDM, uh, the last of the original sort of Envy lineup that Envy picked up. Um, they they benched him. Um, and I think we all saw this coming, that they were going to dismantle that side. Um, and they were only using it to get certain league spots and whatever. But JDM is going to be a free agent as of the 1st of July. I'll tell you what, I forgot that the Uriah Faber-looking motherfucker was 29. Oh, he's pretty old, yeah. Yeah, he fucking doesn't look it, does he? Fucking yeah. using moisturizer and shit. Outrageous. I'll, I'll avoid all the jokes about, you know, late growth spurts and all that. It's just childish. <laughs> like his body. <laughs> right, no, whatever. <laughs> I did it anyway in the end, didn't I? I know, I'm you're such a cunt. To do an even as soon as I, I, but it's always like that. It's always like that. As soon as people say, like, late growth spurt, I, I, I will avoid the jokes, the obvious jokes. You're not going to avoid the obvious no, jokes. You're drawing attention. Yeah, yeah. always. Anyway, um, yeah, but I didn't know he, I didn't know he was 29. So the question now becomes: Obviously, it wasn't that long ago that JDM was was playing at, at a top level on a top team, um, and was you know, like I say, we all know what his weaknesses are. We all know he's a, a pure opera in the sense that um, his rifling still leaves a lot to be desired. Uh, and and he, I, I know he's worked on that part of his game and made some improvement on that part of his game. But it's ne he, you know, he's never going to be a, a player you could label a hybrid. He's he's an AWPer, and that's what you're getting. And if he doesn't have an AWP in his hands, then you're going to struggle to win rounds. Um, but is he is he still good enough to maybe work his way into this kind of like discussion about um, you know all these NA teams potentially picking up some talent and making some changes as they look to kind of consolidate the amount of talent they've got in there, or realistically at 29. And with his reputation, uh, he's not likely to be playing for a top team anytime soon. 
I think his biggest limiting factor is the fact that due to being so emphasized around his AWP, you basically have to put a lot of the resources in your team into him if he joins your team. He is not a plug-and-play player. So as a result, yeah. you have to basically be willing to ride or die with this guy. And as a result, I only I do think that you know teams who are at the level of the complexities of the world, I think he could play for one of those teams, of course. I think that's fine. He could play with. Someone I'd take like him over Rick, blind Ricky, fucking Ray but, Charles you know, over there. Like, yeah, I'd like fucking if, have him. If in we're talking way. about the what Cloud Nine want to be, what NRG is, what Team Liquid obviously is much better than, and I don't think he's at that level. Like, I, I think that time he's had that time in his career. He got to enjoy a couple of years in some top teams. He had some mm. nice runs now and then. I don't think we're going to see some career revival in that sense. So I think he could certainly be a like a serviceable veteran player it's just that unfortunately he has a much more limited number of teams that it would be worth them picking him up for like he's not one of those right. players like the difference is someone like a Hiko, as long as they're motivated to keep the level decent you could chuck them in a bunch of teams and they'll be all right i think mm. this guy probably needs like the team to team has to really like what he's bringing and be willing to gamble on it basically mm. um yeah i think i you know i'm kind of in agreement with that like i say i i Put him, I'd love to see him slot into complexity in place of Ricky. I think he could really do a job there. The problem you've got with that is, though, you've got Shazam. So how does that even make sense as a move? Um, because there's going to, you know, there's going to, Shazam has to stay your primary opera, I think. Um, but yeah, uh, I, 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 I don't know. I, I think JDM is one of those players. He's in a tough spot because if this was like 18 months ago, I think he, he gets into a top team and has an opportunity to play at a top level, no, no problem. Unfortunately, what's happened is we've actually had a consolidation of talent at the top end of the NA scene, and it's a lot harder. You can't just break into those teams on reputation anymore. you got young kids coming through, fucking got that desire, got that fire in their fucking belly. So it's it, yeah. been way too long since he was on those top teams. Like to me and you would have yeah. just like less than two years ago. But the problem is two years is a long time. A to long time. Players. Like yeah. they don't give a monkeys about what you did two years ago. And I'd even add in as well, like of all the players in the scene, he's done exactly what his old mate Stanislaw from Team Liquid did. That is the classic mistake is they have no media presence. If he'd have done some sort of an interview after Team Liquid where he'd explained, you know, maybe the coaching style didn't fit him or maybe he was yeah, going through yeah. some personal problems, all of a sudden people have a reason to still think in the back of your mind, maybe you could turn around and be a top player again. If you just go radio silent, then all they remember is your last performance and your last performance wasn't good and they just think, shit player, what do I care? Don't, don't know him as a person. I know extra reason to root for him, really. So I, I feel like in his particular case as well, that was a mistake because I get why Stanislaw didn't want to be a public figure. He's not a very social guy. He's not the sort of guy who probably even understands why people would need to know what he's thinking. JDM actually could be a very, very popular player. He has a very easygoing attitude. Seems like a pretty fun-loving guy. I feel like he could have done a lot more with his profile in that sense. But unfortunately, I get the sense he wanted time off and he actually wanted to take a backseat. So I think that I just think that was misplayed because that's so, if you're someone where your your game can't speak for you, speak for yourself then. Get get some fans that way. Build a nice little immediate image. Show you great on camera as well. You know, these are all things that actually count when you go to a team as well. So I think you yeah. might have misplayed that. Yeah, uh, undoubtedly. Uh, now, look, we've got another um, sort of uh, weird one um, happening. Uh, look, we, we were all, well, I mean, we all, I've done a bit of applies to you. It definitely applied to me. Uh, I was very excited about the, um, you know, Tai Lu team that got put together, if you sure. remember. It looked like that we actually had... 
Yeah, the Asian super team. Now, for whatever reason, it just never worked out. Um, it, it, it was just one of those weird instances where it should have been better than what it was. I've never seen a team that was as bad as them who could have as many good maps. Yeah. Like they like I feel like from memory even, I can't ever remember them with this lineup ever or, or even the lineup they had just before, ever actually having a really big placing. That was like mm. way back in the last year. You have to go to get them vaguely having good placings. But they would just have a map every now and then. Oh, sometimes a map at every tournament where you'd be like, Yeah. God damn, that's why I love watching this team play. But you'd be like, never bet any of my fucking money on them in any context whatsoever, though. No, no, no. <laughs> no, it was it was an it was a nightmare in, in that sense. But um, you know, they've had they've had this weird, you know, on-off uh, uh you know, kind of uh, talk about roster changes coming for a while. And it's, it's just strange because the the lineup that the bit the, the, the most recent change to this lineup now is that accurate or accurate, depending on which pronunciation you, you want to adopt, uh, is actually the guy that's been pushed out. And if you remember, I mean, a lot of, you know, him him uh, and Bentet, you know, the two Indonesian players, a lot of people felt that they were like the dual force sure. that actually kept them in a lot of these, um, a lot of these, matches that, that guy who made a lot of impact plays i can yeah. just from memory i can remember so many times he saved their asses coupled up some clutch amazing orping like seemed like he did a, generally a pretty good job didn't seem like the worst player by any stretch no and but i mean he was one of the guys that i particularly liked watching because when he went off with an orp uh he, i mean he really fucking did now you know i've heard that um they want to put a renewed focus back on having an old chinese lineup uh, or a lineup that speaks Mandarin specifically, Understandable. Um, because they've had communication problems and it's put a lot of pressure on Ben Tet, um, who um, you know has to be the translator and, and and stuff, and that's like definitely had an impact on the team. But I mean, I always feel that over time you can work around a language barrier. Um, it just it's just weird that this team fell flat. Now the player they're uh, bringing in. Is uh, to replace Excurate uh, is uh, some 19 year old Chinese player who uh, is coming from BTRG Imba um, called uh, Dan King. I think I've seen him play in a few you know late night Chinese matches when I'm up like you know bored or whatever. Uh, and he, he looks like a decent player, but but again at you know 19 playing at the Chinese level, you know remember Ty Lu's an international team. Sure. So you do not know what you're going to get. Whereas I do know uh, Excurate can tee off against international caliber lineups. So there's that to factor in. But then you also get into this weird situation where they have a backup player who's also the coach, I think, after Jonta, the Ukrainian, left um, uh, Freeman. And they're having to play. They can't use Dan King for the Asian minor, but they're not bringing... Excurate back, they're gonna use Freeman instead. So I, I, I don't know what the fuck is going on over at uh, at Tai Lu, but you know to to be the first Asian team that broke into the CS:GO top ten rankings, to to be where they are now, and they haven't made wholesale changes. Something's very very wrong, and I think it's really fucking sad because, like you, this was one of the teams I used to love watching. I would always watch a title. Even if game. they were losing the game, I could enjoy yeah. it. That's the thing, because yeah. the style was so fucking infectious, wasn't it? Mm. 
Yeah. So, um, so I I don't know what's going on with with this whole situation because it it you know according to the last report on HLTV, uh, um, Freeman is uh basically like I don't know um like I don't know if he's going to be in the lineup full time. Uh, it seems strange. I don't that's know if the that's the most bizarre part because yeah. he was one of the better players in Vici, basically. So mm. I'm confused as to why. Like, like I when I first heard that part, I assumed they were trying to do some variant of what Cloud Nine was trying to do last time, where you put the player as a coach and somehow you can list him for the major. But as you say, yeah. that's apparently not the the concept. So I don't really know what they're doing. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, exactly. He's listed as a coach. I'm not saying he is he, he is coaching, but obviously you put you put him down as your coach because that's your substitute player if you do make it to the main. I mean, I, I know supposedly they like changed how that's supposed to work, but I yeah. can't. I, all that all that shit's so confusing. Mm. So really, really strange because again, like having signed an orper in the form of uh, Dan King, you know that like suggests to me he's the long term replacement for um, Excurate, but. Freeman is a decent player in his own right with a reputation. Um, you know, also a good young player, also 19. So I don't know. I mean, like it just seems Tyloo don't even necessarily have a, a, a clear idea. I, I certainly hope it doesn't spell the end for Bentet because he's not, I mean, he's the best player on the team and sure. doesn't have the linguistic boundaries. That seems would be the issue. But maybe it's about more than just language for whatever reason. So uh, maybe they supposedly just supposedly he isn't like really fluent in Mandarin though. Like, okay. so I, that's what I was told. So the problem I think in that scenario is like that's exactly what I think will probably end up fucking him over in Tyloo. Is that especially if he's now the last person left who is like not a fluent Mandarin speaker. If you're in a Chinese team, you either are going to have results and they're going to go, right, we'll put up with this situation, or they're probably going to say, let's just get five Chinese players or five players who speak Chinese together. So I feel like his days probably are numbered with this lineup now because I would agree. I thought he was one of the revelations when he joined this team. He did a lot to turn around the culture of a team that at the point he joined was becoming very whack. They used to literally just go to tournaments and people would be like, remember when they beat Luminosity? I was like, that was like two years ago. Stop talking about that now. Like that has been and gone. But I will say... They never did really get the like consistency together with him in the team. So maybe they're going to view it as a cul-de-sac. They shouldn't have gone down and he goes elsewhere. Quite frankly, if Ben Tet doesn't stay on Tyler, I hope he comes to Europe or North America. Like he's a player who could yeah. he has fluent English. So I hope he doesn't feel as though he has to stay within the Asian region unless he just wants to live there. Yeah, I mean, like you say, he's a player I definitely enjoy watching and, and think he still has untapped potential. You know, he's only 23. Um so yeah, definitely a player. I, I, you know, if he is usurped for whatever reason, I certainly hope it doesn't happen like that. But if it does, uh, he's definitely a player I'd like to see play internationally or just, you know, still get another chance with the top team because I think his talent uh, definitely uh, warrants it. Right. So here's uh, another uh, ongoing um, storyline uh, that was, um, uh, you know, kind of developing. We've been talking a lot about, you know. ESL1 Cologne, what the Blast is doing to our professional circuit with the soft exclusivity that they've kind of introduced. And there was a period of time where it looked like we were actually going to have a very lackluster ESL1 Cologne uh, attendance because certain teams were sort of electing to opt out of playing there, Team Liquid being the most notable. Um, and there was also some strange situation with like G2 where I think they didn't get invited and 
didn't get didn't apply for the qualifier or something uh, you know so, something went on there anyway that was when they claimed it was like that was when famously nell said it was because shocks was getting yeah, married or something absolute bullshit apparently nonsense so yeah yeah absolute bullshit there was some uh, fuckery though clearly yeah something went on behind the scenes uh anyway this led to the introduction of a qualifier that basically Team Liquid, because of public backlash and, and very little else, honestly, uh, decided, yeah, you know, okay, we, we'll we'll play in a qualifier. And then sort of there were some other teams that kind of warranted uh, inclusion, but weren't real contenders. Um, you know, Hellraisers were in there, Sprout were in there, Forza were in there, Team Spirit were in there, you know. Um, and uh, obviously G2 uh, were added to it as well. So obviously we got the final most people would have expected. Uh, Team Liquid... Uh, taking on G2. And um, I don't know, this series uh, was, yeah, you know, it was all right. I, I, I watched uh, I, I watched it. Team Liquid were comfortable, as you'd expect throughout. Um, few signs of promise um, for uh, a G2, in particular on Nuke. Um, but uh, in general, Liquid very comfortable. Not a surprise. Stewie 2K and Elige. Uh, getting it done, and this uh, now rounds out actually what we've needed all year, like a super fucking good line. Remember Counter-Strike, guys? This is what it used to be like. Yeah, and this is what I mean. I think people have forgotten that we used to have, have events like this all the time. Let me just read off the list of teams that, that are here, right? So Team Liquid, obviously, Astralis, Ents, Fnatic, Na'Vi, Renegades, NRG, Vitality, Furia, Big, Phase, MIBR, NIP, Mouse Sports, MVPPK, and Heroic. That's that's hands down the best event we've had all that we're going to have all year. That is uh, that that is all of the top teams all in one place. And again, it's like I think people have forgotten that is fundamentally what we've been starved of with all of this refresh bullshit. I believe that is actually uh, the entire top ten of Hitchhiker. Yeah. Right yeah, is on there. And then you've got some, you know, some cheeky little teams after that, like Heroic, etc. A few, yeah. they can do some damage to Heroic, obviously. So, no, this is the sad thing. You know what? Mark this one down in your book. People, the little people, can actually beat all the cunts. Only occasionally, but occasionally it can happen. Because this is a win for the little people. Because what happened here was... Now you understand why I outed that Team Liquid was not going to attend ESL One Cologne at that particular time. I didn't do it when it was all completely 100% done that they would never in any context be there. But by doing it, and that was just when the, the stuff with Astralis had heated up to maximum heat, and they were probably looking over at Astralis going, I don't want that fucking scrutiny on me next for the whole blast thing. And they decided, you know what? Is there a way out of this? And they were told, yeah, you can play in a qualifier for a last chance spot. And they did. And thankfully they won it because in the end we did get a tournament, a tier one tournament with all the biggest teams, crucially all the top five in attendance, something that has not happened since the major. And that is exactly what Blast's soft exclusivity strategy was clearly meant to target was meant to be. That's why people never got that. It wasn't just about Astralis skipping events. It was that if Astralis skipped, then yeah, Team Liquid would attend that one. 
But if Team Liquid was, if Astralis was going, Team Liquid had to not be at that event. And that always held with Team Liquid, Na'Vi and uh, Astralis up until this one. And this would have been the one that Team Liquid would have skipped. So you would have still had a scenario where actually Blast even would have locked into having the number one team skip again. Because Astralis would be there, but Team Liquid wouldn't. Well, it just so happens that luckily, this sometimes happens in journalism, you, you get the story out there fast enough that actually it can fix itself. That you know, it, you get ahead of the, the the disaster scenario, and there's chances for the optics to line up so that yeah, they've they've taken the steps that have corrected it. So thank God, because it would have sucked so much if only the major was the tournament that we had gone from major to major with only the with zero tournaments with all the top five teams. That's why I said again, this is where I realize if you're someone in the public and you only see what's going on in public, it's easy to take our statements and go, that's a bit hyperbolic. No, the reason I did that tweet saying I will never forgive Refresh and Blast for what they did to this Counter-Strike scene is because they've literally put it so we had like something like a four or five month span where the kind of tournaments I want to watch didn't exist. There were none. So I've watched Counter-Strike for fucking like almost 20 years and I had to go half a year. In theory, it's peak with none of the tournaments I want to watch. Like, if you sign up for that, if you love Blast events, have at it. I think that's fucking bullshit, personally. So thank God Team Liquid won this qualifier. And now we have no asterisks next to that tournament. Quite frankly, in the end, they've actually ended up sort of fucking themselves, Blast. Because, yeah, they fucked over ESL on a few tournaments. They fucked over DreamHack on a tournament. But in the end, this is how 2019 will be remembered. The most important tournaments were... The two majors, then ESL Cologne, and then who even gives a fuck on the fourth tournament? We don't know yet. Maybe another one. It won't be anyone from Blast, and it will be one of your main rivals that had the best tournament after the majors. No, but here's, here's the best part about it as well. Like, you know, I, I've lost track, dude. And one of, the re uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to fucking make this podcast a platform to talk about this and talk about it on Twitter and, and signal boost people that were, that were talking about it was... You know, I've lost track of how many fans, you know, have sent me messages saying, listen, I don't watch Counter-Strike anymore, um, you know, but I still watch your stuff or um, I don't watch Counter-Strike anymore. Uh, just, it, you know, as, as, as a general rule, it's got boring. Um, I'm really struggling. And this isn't just anecdotal evidence from, you know, fans. This is something that we've seen. You know, we've had some decent-ish tournaments that really haven't had the viewership you would expect. Now, it's still kicking the ass of, like, the Overwatch League and, and other, sure. you know, big esports out there. <laughs> you know, even even a, you know, DreamHack tournament's doing better than that. But, but the reality is there have been some reductions in viewership at a time when this is, the, this is one of the most exciting periods we've had for Counter-Strike for a while. If and, this um, had had all the teams at the tournaments, I predict this would have actually been the turnaround. Because obviously the last year or two, we've seen the slight decline of the numbers. I think this would have been the reprieve because it would have been such a straight fire five months. Think about yeah. it, right? You even see it with the way fans have treated the newer teams, like the Furious and Vitalities that have come up now have never fully gotten the proper props they deserve. Like people mm -hmm. are still telling me now... You know, yeah, Vitality is good, but why have you now said they're elite? It's like, because everything they've done suggests they're elite. I get it. They couldn't be yeah. Astralis, etc. the other tournaments. They weren't there. So I know what you mean. It doesn't feel like they fully matched up, but they were the ones that were active. Same for Furia. Ah, they just a flash and a plan, blah, blah, blah. If they'd have done the same results in tournaments that either had Astralis, Team Liquid, Faze, everyone at them, 
they'd have gotten the plaudits they deserve. So that's the other thing. You've shortchanged the people who did play. They've almost been treated like fucking scabs or something. Like they don't deserve their accomplishments. No, it's the other way around. They deserve their accomplishments. The teams who didn't attend those events yeah. are the ones who deserve to be fucking chastised. No, and and that's that's the thing. It's like I said. I, I think it's just so important to realize that at this time, go look at every other uh, s successful big esport out there, and look at how often the big teams are playing the big teams. Yes, you can have too much of that, but right now in CS, we've gone completely the other way, where it isn't happening enough. And and yeah. online games that doesn't count. Like the, it's about LAN. It's a, you know that's what the game is, and we're being deprived of that. And it's making the fans go away and go to something else. And it's and, made it less interesting for me, mate. Yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, I, exactly. I've been interested in my whole life in Counter Strike. Well, not literally, yeah. you know, like while the game was around, obviously, I wasn't like seven years old. Like, fucking, if they invented Counter Strike, that'd be brilliant, wouldn't they? No, when I was like, whenever there's a blast on now, I can take or leave it, and and even and, and the knock-on effect that's had for some of the other tournaments, where it's like, I'll just watch the semis. You know, I never used to be like that. I mean, I you know, I used to watch an unreal amount of counter-strike and it's like it, but for the, this is the first year where i've really been selective because honestly you will have to watch a lot of shit a lot of subpar games yep. with a lot of teams that aren't necessarily going to be narrative relevant uh you know three months from now and it and it and, and also even when you get the two best teams at an event it could be like the fifth best team taking on the 15th best team in the world and that's an event final well it's not a very exciting prospect i'll still tune in for that sure but a lot of fans won't a lot of fans will do something else so th there's been a, a very detrimental effect now what's going to happen with esl1 cologne this is going to be the viewership high like high point of the year surely no doubt no doubt it's got People... it lined up for everything summer yeah. fucking cologne yeah. all the teams european times so how could it fail yeah and it's what i'm saying I, I i think if you get this huge spike in viewership let's say we get close to major numbers for esl1 cologne which given that this tournament the is fact everyone's starved. A major, yeah it's gonna help as well yeah that's it, the other it, factor it, yeah and, and it, it's the 20th anniversary of Counter-Strike. And I urge, because I know occasionally the CSGO devs do watch this. I urge you, please, 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 whatever beef you've had with ESL in the past, for the good of your game, for the good of this community, please push ESL1 Cologne onto your fucking game so it's there on your client. I don't care what you have to do. Bang the fucking drums because this is as good as CSGO is going to be in 2019. Yes. As good as the major is. This itself. is the battle for the nightmare. Everyone's going to yeah. come together. Come on. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I know ESL and you have had your differences, but if this game gets a huge spike in viewership and you can tie it in with some in-game promotion, something, and I know there's not a lot of fucking time to get this together, this can be a, a rallying point, a change, because right now, we're not dying. We're nowhere near dead, but we all know it. We've all seen the slow petering out of interest that's happening because there are too many cooks in the kitchen right now, and we need Valve, as always, to come in and be the fucking adults in the room. So please, everybody has to push uh, the importance of ESL 1 Cologne. I know ESL might... 
to a lot of people still be the evil empire. Right now, that's the event that saves Counter-Strike. 100%. And also, if you are someone who... I mean, it was only a few years... It was not like four years ago. If you remember when it was ESL were the ones pushing for their own exclusivity and their own leagues and their own path towards owning Counter-Strike as a competitive franchise, pretty much. Remember... Them being basically denied that, cut off at a few key points, and then forced to come away from that is a good thing. It shows that the community could actually course correct. We could fix these things. So someone like Blast can very much come back into the fold and be another tournament organizer, even the best tournament organizer, if they do the appropriate steps. So I consider it a good thing within our community that unlike all those other games, which quite frankly are just dev tyrannies, mm -hmm. you actually can have sort of like the scene itself can course correct. And so that yeah. that's it. So just as ESL now doesn't seem like a, a malicious entity, they don't seem like someone fucking with everyone. Now, to be fair, they're probably held in check, which is what you want. That's the world I want to live in because basically, just like in, in society in general, the best approach generally seems to be you want people to act in their own self-interest, but then enough people every now and then to look past their self-interest and hold the bigger forces at check. And therefore, we get to have an ecosystem. It isn't just one company. Because as soon as it becomes one company, yeah, sure, just like in a monarchy, you could have a brilliant king. You, could, you also could have an absolute cunt who could ruin everything. So I'll always go with what the Counter-Strike scene has been up until now over the other alternatives I've seen put forwards. Mm. Um, and just while we're on that topic, as I said, obviously 20th, 20th uh, year anniversary uh, of the existence of Counter-Strike. I haven't got around to doing my um, tweet yet. Yeah, everyone, you know, so everyone who works in Counter-Strike has done a tweet about how it changed our lives and stuff. And I think me and you, we're, we're just two grumpy old men. I, know, so, I don't uh, give a fuck. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even say good, happy birthday to my friends, mate. I assume they just know I'm glad they're alive and just get on with it. <laughs> 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 uh, it's the idea that's what goes through my head mate. five minutes before I go to say, didn't it say happy birthday? Sure he knows, I'm glad he's alive. So, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, anyway, right? I'm going to fucking, um, I'm going to do my tweet. I heard you do All the right. same, may as well, eh? Uh, but anyway, um, they did do an update. And look, um, I, I still think Valve's handling a CSGO leaves a lot to be desired. Uh, but I, you know, we only really think that because we've got Dota 2 to look sure. over at, you know, and again, I, I say it all the time, you know, if you're a CSGO fan and you're whining about how, how Valve hates your game and, you know, sure. you're the stepchild of the relationship, go talk to TF2 fans. Just go talk to them. TF2 was the testing ground for everything. It was the testing ground for what became basically the, the boxes, the keys, the hats, the in-game cosmetics, like all sorts of changes. And they would take that out and drop it into Dota and take that out and drop it into CSGO. And they got very little of the love back, despite being a critically acclaimed, super popular game. That's still right up there, actually, in, in the charts, despite everything. Um, so yeah, TF2 fans look over at CSGO and go, oh, why can't we be them? So, you know, the grass is always greener. But look, I will definitely say it would it would have been nice to have uh, some sort of bigger announcement than the one we got, but it was an announcement nonetheless. And what they did is they put out a uh, retro version of Dust Two, the classic uh, Dust Two map. They released an in-game um, casual with the chickens in, which uh, is funny because obviously, while we all love the, <laughs> we all love the chickens in a way, 
that should be out of the game. <laughs> there's, there's no place for the fucking chickens in the game, especially because we've seen a couple of instances <coughs> where chickens have stopped a fucking door opening or something stupid. Um, but whatever. But people love the chickens, apparently. Um, so I thought that was nice. I, you know, I, I, I'd like to see them do a bit more. But the fact that for their 20th anniversary, they did something where it was actually conceivable that maybe they would have just done a, t a tweet or <coughs> something else. You know, they actually did something palpable in the game. I think that's a good sign. I'll also add as well, I, I see more interactivity from CSGO dev these days. And even in this uh, change that they made, um, because they also made adjustments to the uh, org, um, which people have been calling for for ages. They actually tagged Nico into it because Nico has been saying he won't use the org. The org's a noob gun. This fuckled me. This absolutely. Yeah, no, me. this is what I mean. This is brilliant, oh, no, right? This. Like Nico has been like fucking fuck the org, fuck the org, fuck the org, and then realized if you can't beat him, you gotta fucking join him. Starts using the org, and then literally like a week after, he starts picking it up and getting used to it. Yeah, we're gonna nerf the org, and they tagged Nico in the announcement they were doing org nerfs. <laughs> Nico was like, CS go down fucking trolling me here and the brilliant thing is yes they absolutely yeah. are they're up they, they're watching this going fuck you know you're never getting a gangbang with him has he picked up the org yet that was the only reason we haven't nerfed it get wrecked you cunt. <laughs> and i actually like that i actually like that because this is the first this is the first time in a long time i actually feel like valve are kind of watching what the competitive community is saying to some degree um i mean that might not be true maybe my perceptions are inaccurate but they've been more active on Twitter. They've been more active at tagging people, talking to people, getting ideas again. Yeah, it, it, it's good. And it turns out, I think this is a good update as well. Uh, what are your thoughts? Also, just fucking hilarious in the context that, as you say, Nico was just complaining, like, this shit's obviously OP. And I, know, obviously, I, know, I know, Obviously, everyone was just saying him the obvious thing, wasn't it? Well, like, well why don't you use it then, Nico? Yeah, it's OP. Exactly. And he was like, nah, nah, dude, it's, not, it's not even that good. It should be nerfed anyway any minute now. Uh, anyway, whatever, I'll just keep... Uh, Complain that's OP, but refusing to use it from our team to help them succeed. And most of his team, even bizarrely, seemed to follow his suit and like refuse to use it because they, I think, in their minds, they really assumed like if if people like them were to complain it's OP, surely it will be immediately nerfed. It's like, will you grow the fuck up? Like, by that logic, let's just nerf the Deagle because you're really good with it. Like, no, the game doesn't work that way. We balance on other factors. But I, I like the way Nico's approach to professionally playing Counter-Strike is the same approach I always had in League of Legends, why I always found it a very unsatisfying game, which is when they release the new champion in League, it's always when it's the most busted, isn't it? It's like every oh, ability yeah. sick, you know, the scaling's probably way off. Like, it probably has, like, a passive that should be a fucking ability with a cost on it. And, you know, like, everything's broken. Well, because I, I still have that mentality, I'm getting over it a little bit now where even as much as like a few years ago, I still wouldn't spend any money in any game. So because technically in League, you can just grind and get the points and just get the thing for free. I would never buy the champion when it came out. So by the time I got it and I'd been wrecked about 50 times and I'd played whatever, the 60 games it'll take me over a year to get that fucking champion, I would get it like, right, finally, let's see how OP this is. Now it's my turn to fuck by then. And I'd be like, what? And I'd be trying to use it in games, doing the shit people have been doing. I mean, obviously none of it worked. I was like, this is fucking garbage. Why is my Nidley Spear doing 100 damage? Used to be 2,000. But the difference is, like, I'm just playing the game for fun. You're an actual professional, Nico. You're like the second best player in the world. What the fuck is this shit? No, but I remember... I it's remember actually hilarious. It was like, wasn't it the NIP players with the CZ? Didn't they do that too? They were oh, like, we're yeah. yeah. We're not going to use the CZ. Freiburg and all those guys used to say, like, yeah. it's just garbage, isn't it? It's like, well, 
you could just use it to win all that money, though, couldn't you? Nah, I'm yeah. better than that. It's like some sort of like moral fucking statement. Like, mm. I wouldn't want to win that way, you know, to sully my reputation. Like, shut just the fuck like up. like the English <laughs> refusing to use crossbows or something at the start. No, we will use the longbows. No, but, but like, just as a rule, by the way, just for casual uh, players, I mean, you know, and this applies to any game, uh, at any given time in like a MOBA and in CS:GO too, there'll be a there'll there'll be a gun, there'll be a, a champion, there'll be something that's busted as fuck. And if you're serious about climbing in the in the ranks or whatever, you abuse the fuck out of it. You yes. abuse the fuck out of it because that's what that's what MMR, <clears throat> that's what ranking systems are. It's not a reflection of your overall skill; it's a reflection of your consistency over a prolonged time period being impactful in games. That's what it is and you be you you know you can bet your ass that your fucking opponents will use it against you if you don't use it against them so you know that's just how that's way it goes so the idea that i would i think everybody would agree with that about like solo queue right and matchmaking the idea that people would then literally fucking say ah but i'm a pro so not gonna use the busted thing while you're getting your fucking head banged off that. with an org like imagine the hubris of that as your as your team gets banged out of a tournament again the idea all your like, fans are crying. You walk past and go, "Dad <coughs> didn't use the org, bitches!" Like, no, fuck that. No, and then you know, if you worry about this angle as well, you're in a massive game, right? Think about Face Clan. It's a close game. It was a really back and forwards game. At the end of the game, right, you turn around, you're Nico, and you go, "You know what, lads? We lost, but I feel like we can hang our, ha our hats on this one. You know, we gave yeah. it our all, did it all. In the end, what more could we have done?" And you know, one of them's just looking down, going, "Well, uh." And then he just goes, absolutely nothing, right? Agree. <laughs> yeah, nothing, right? Adren, Adren goes, you know what? I've only been here a few months, but I'm going to speak up on this one, Nico. You need to get over your ego. You need to get that. And Adren has been removed from Face Clan. Washed up Neo is here. Like, All right, Neo, you speak fluent English and never have a word to say about the org, do you? Damn right, son. Right, welcome in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Listen, that was all a skit. Anyone, any likeness or character that was presented there was purely fictional and didn't in any way represent the real Nico, the guy who refused to use the org until it was nerfed. Um, so, yeah. So, I, I, I think, look, I think it's a step in the right direction. Like, I, I've still been enjoying Counter-Strike, honestly, like when, when the top teams have been playing. and, and the I haven't found good. the org ruined my enjoyment. Nah, I was just going to say, I mean, listen, I think... I've seen like config. Was it tweet out like the org shouldn't be in Counter Strike or something like that? And it's like, well, it it's been there for a pretty long time, homie. So definitely yeah. should be in the game. It's 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 just that in its current form, yes, it was giving an advantage in particular. It was probably um, slightly you know. overpowered. I agree. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was it went at land especially. It was making maps that were balanced, lean more more towards the, the telling TV point to me. Saw that. And this is really like you can use this metric generally. Mm. Is when the people who themselves are good with the weapon admit. It is a bit overpowered. I'd maybe tone this down or tone that down. That's when you usually know, like, come on, like, even they're saying it. Like, so when, like, I, as you said, like the team liquid players, I've seen Elige many times discuss potentially balancing the org. This guy's one of the best org players we've got. He's fucking amazing with that gun. His spray is one of his best strengths. Like, if he's willing to sort of give up and say, I'll meet you halfway, we can nerf it a bit, that's probably a more reasonable one than Nico just going, Bloody OP as fuck. All right, show me all your clips and I don't use it personally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what is that? That's the, that's the worst argument you've ever made, isn't it? You no, don't. That fuck. is bad. <laughs> that is a bad one. What a ludicrous <laughs> argument. <laughs>
<laughs> Wait a minute, it's um, not just that you're just not that good with it, is it? No, what are you talking about? My dick's massive. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm fine with it all. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so a, a good update. I'm, I'm going to be interested. I just hope it doesn't go to a point where we just end up back where we were before C- the, the devs made any changes. Because, um, you know, look, I, I like I like it when there's a little curveball in there now and then. And the, the one thing the community has to be super cautious about is discouraging the devs from making any changes to the game because it'll stagnate. You know, sure. like it's like I say, it's why I support Vertigo being in the map pool, even though I fucking hate that map. Just the principle. You know? Yeah, it's the principle. Try something exactly. new, bring something completely brand new. Yeah, yeah. It's not that um, So, uh, oh, just one other thing. I don't know if you want to uh, talk about it too much. There was um, Snappy is in free agency. You know what, mate? All I'm going to say is this. You go back up a couple of years when it was the tough times in North. Things were going badly. Everyone was blaming MSL for kicking all the players that had good tournaments. All the fun that we all remember. And everyone used to say, you know what? What this North team needs, this snappy guy who's turned this heroic team into someone good. I used to think, are they right though? Because the problem is I always thought like MSL himself only failed when he got to that level where he had the expectations to win the tournaments and all the rest. You know, like Snappy, it's not like he did that in heroic, but then again, he also hadn't been given the tools of a North. Mm. Well, the problem is we don't need to ever have that discussion again for one second in our lives because not only did Snappy get a lineup as good as almost any North lineup in Optic, he had a whole bunch of talent, KGB, Config, Yogi, like these are real players to work with. He even then got some of the signings he wanted. He got his old mate Nico over. He got refreshing the team. He then, we got to see what the experiment's like when MSL runs the same team, but a worse version because it has Snappy in it. And MSL's <laughs> version with Snappy in it was better than the best one that Snappy had without MSL in it. That's end of story. Anyone who yeah. was ever on that train, that train doesn't even exist anymore. <laughs> it was never a train driver. That was all ghost in your train. mind. Exactly. Classic ghost train. Um, was a great kid show that not a lot of people probably remember with um, Gilbert. Do you remember the alien with the snotty nose? Oh, Gil- yes. I do remember that now. Yeah. yeah it was really disgusting, yeah. though, because it did have like actual like mucus coming out, didn't it? Yeah, that was the whole, that was the thing. Because it was I like mean, one I'm... of those horror movie type uh, special effects, wasn't it? Like a... Yeah, yeah. Baker-esque, like, yeah. I'd even dare yeah. to invoke yeah. in your presence. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, be careful with that. Um, but anyway, so, uh, look, I, I, I agree. I, I think um, what history has shown us, because, like, what's mad is, I didn't realize, he was in fucking Optic for a 13 long time. months. A long 13 time. months. Yeah, 13 months as a failing in-game leader in a, in a big org. That's wild. Think about that it, right? Wild. Listen, that is wild as fuck. Cadian, it feels like he was in North a long time, didn't it? He wasn't even mm. in that long. <laughs> what was mm. he in? Like eight months, six months? I don't know. Something yeah. like that, right? Feels like it. So up, Snappy absolutely got his chance. And as I say, he had all the rotations of players. So, and I'll just say this look at um, since MSL joined Optic, look at Config's form and then go look at Config when he played on Snappy. Like, Sorry, it was night and day. Like one of them now looks again like one of the best players. The other guy, actually, no one even was bringing his name up. He wasn't even getting mentioned in those conversations of making teams and bringing people to the FaZe clans of the world. That's how far his stock had dropped. Yeah, and I, and I, I think what history is going to show us is that, look, the, the 
the achievements of that particular heroic lineup that Snappy was in were pretty good, all things considered. Sure. I mean, nobody had like any particular high hopes from them. No, they no. were always sort of relevant, you know, always competitive. Uh, they really punched above their weight. But you do get teams like that in all sports yes. where it's like a perfect storm. And, if, and then what you have to do, you know, you watch them kind of like fade away as yeah. various parts go to other teams, you know, like Wimbledon. Is, is an example in, in if you go back to the golden age of the Premier League, you know, there was one season they got seventh in the fucking league. And these were all like journeyman players, but they came together. They had an ethos. They had an ethic. They had an identity. They had a style. They were all on the same page. And they, they were a tough fucking team to play, even if you were supposed to be one of the teams that was going on to win the title. Heroic were like that. Heroic were a Wimbledon. Now, what happens is when those players from fucking Wimbledon start going to other fucking teams, they never live up to it. They can never do it again. Their teammates sort of have different ideas. Maybe they're a bit more cultured. Maybe they're not as direct. Maybe there's higher expectations, more pressure. You know, it, 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 it's all these, this combination of things. And unfortunately, I agree with you. I think 13 months in an organization that backed you to the hilt, made roster changes for you, let you bring in players you'd worked with before, never cut you, never seemed to put any pressure on you, even gave you an opportunity to play. Went to plenty of lands as well. Went to a yeah. lot of lands. Uh, yeah. yeah, and sent you to events, and you fucking flopped every time. Unfortunately, this is a massive stain on your copybook as an in-game leader. Yep. And with Snappy being 29... I don't know if we see him get another chance to manage players that good and and um, uh, and play that well. So, so I don't know. I, I, while he's in free agency, I think obviously someone somewhere will pick him up. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be a tier one team. I don't think justifiably it can be. Sadly, no. And I'd also just again. I mean, I won't do a massive version, but I'll give a quick version where he was never seen the show before. But I will now reference a concept I've brought up many, many times about in-game leaders, which is basically mm -hmm. the concept of the small club manager from football, which is yeah. I like the kind of team actually that Richard was talking about there, like a Wimbledon. Obvious, more recent examples would be Leicester City or Fulham if we're going in the last twenty years. These are teams where the idea is when the team does well, yeah, you know what? I've no doubt that the manager probably had a lot to do with it. He probably did craft a style. He probably did get a player in a role he's never played before. He probably did develop some young talent. The problem is that the manager also tends to get snapped up. He tends to go to a big club. You know, you'll get a big club who's a little bit on hard times and think, you know what, this young, fresh blood, that's what we need to do. Turn around the culture here. And the problem mm -hmm. is, as you'll know from most of the examples I just gave, those players can't make, those managers can't make the jump up. They are only, what you find out is their skill set is only getting a guy who's never played before and make, getting a match fake, getting a player who was slightly out of position and putting him in a different player. When you then give them the best players and you go, right, forget finding a winger in your team. I've given you the uh, national, national team winger. There you go. What you find is they don't then have the requisite skill set to work with that caliber of player, which is about like ego management. It's about not just putting someone in a good position, making them the best player at their position, about making your team so devastating with tactics you can destroy any opponent. You know, a, a totally different skill set, basically. So I would guess if Snappy wants to keep playing, he can probably go back down the ladder. I don't know that he'll ever come back from it, but he can go down and he can he can cut, be on a team that's like 20th in the world, 25th in the world, 30th. I mean, nowadays it's getting even more crazy in terms of the rankings. If you go and look, suddenly there's teams 20 to 30 that aren't a joke you look at. So he's in a tough spot right now. I don't think he'll be able to work his way back up. He'll probably get a chance again. The problem is, as you say, it's not like this feels like he had one chance at the top and he blew it. 
that's not even one chance when it's 13 months, especially with, as I said, the circumstances are different. He didn't come in like Cadian to North, where it's like a pre-existing team. You're just thrown into the mix. You probably don't have many options for signings. No, you came in with a, t- a lineup that, as I said, someone like an MSL should have been like, that's a brilliant team. Give me that right now. I'll go fucking maybe win a tournament. So... For me, this was a pretty egregious failure. I won't put it all on him. I'd guess, yes, players probably didn't perform. Maybe yeah, and a lot of noise stunned. around Optic, of a lot course. of bullshit. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. some nonsense there, certainly. But but for what we know of what he did in his role, I can't say he did well. It feels mm. like a failure. Well, I mean, it, it it's punctuated, isn't it? Because I'll segue into talking about DreamHack Open Summer. We'll just exactly. have a we'll just have a momentary lament for what DreamHack Summer used to be. And what it is now. Uh, okay, good. That's over. I mean, the teams at this event, compared to past events, you've got Windstrike. You've got Chaos. You've got one of the worst rebrandings in esports history. The the, the old fucking team. What, what are they called now? Crazy with a four in them. Like, yes. fuck that. Um, you had a Vanguard there. Aristocracy, Tricked, Ancient, and Optic. So really, really, like, weak field. Um Shows as well, we've had a little bit of uh, diminishing returns on the CIS uh, teams that looked so good at one point. You know, a yep. Vanguard only getting fifth to sixth here. Still got James, still got Quicket. That's a bit weird. Then you had Windstrike with Edward. Well, they ain't looked like much at all. They've definitely gone backwards. Teams like Forts are pulling ahead of them right now. But anyway, that's all stuff for another day. We're not going to dwell on that. Um, Optic won it. They finished first. They beat Ancient uh, reasonably comfortable i mean i'd say ancient gave a good account of themselves that's ancient the swedish team with plopsky on it who's obviously just joined uh nip um but yeah there, there you have it i mean optic went to this event and sure i think they were <coughs> hands down favorites to win it but you know look they, they've got their own stuff going on you know we like we've talked about config where's he been we've talked about you know uh this new player uh tezes um, that they've brought in. This is a, a, a player that doesn't have a, a huge uh, tenure in, in, in a top-level Counter-Strike. So, you know, this could have been a potential banana skin, and I do feel that if a, if this was a snappy lineup, they would have got found out. They would have got got. But as it happens, MSL uh, it was able to steer them to a very decent tournament win for them, um, which um, eclipses, I think, the only one that they won before was Copenhagen Games, right, with snappy... Oh, with Optic? They've won almost fuck all, so I can't, I can't even think of anything they've won. Yeah, I think they might have won a uh, Copenhagen games in there where they beat the Imperial. Or they might they might have finished runners-up at that one. But anyway, they definitely made it to a Copenhagen games final. I'm pretty sure about that. But anyway, so this is a decent-sized tournament win for them. Whatever you say about the field, dream hacks are always going to have a certain allure, a certain stature. Um, and let me tell you, you know, I watched the final and um, against Ancient... Just actually really positive signs because I agree with you. I think this is a team that is an an, an inferior lineup um, compared to some of the ones Snappy had to work with. But Nico looked good, uh, had a great, uh, great series in the final, all tournament, finally refreshed, looked like he'd had some guidance, made some unbelievable clutches. And I still love this kid and think he's going to be big Um, uh, in, in MSL's probably the guy to get him there and, and, and finish his development. Uh, Config, as you said, is sort of getting back amongst it. And uh, you know what? MSL continues to, uh, to show that, yeah, he's actually improved a lot of his own personal game. So, sure, this was very much a tier two field. 
but you you can only win the tournaments you attend and it's sort of the ultimate full stop on just how depressing the snappy era is and hilariously of course all for nothing because um you know our, our, this this yeah. optic team are going to be all in free agency be it as a roster themselves because of the the rules with the optic uh, optic having been acquired by the immortals gaming club conglomerate well they own mipr don't they so we all know that if you want to play nice with Valve's rules, scant though they are, you can't own two CS teams uh, that were likely to attend Valve events, or ESL reinforced that as well. So ultimately, this will be the team that gets cut. So you win a tournament, you make all these improvements, might all be for nothing because there's not, no guarantee that this team could even stay together as a five. So pretty depressing all around if you're an Optic fan and uh, for MSL as well, I'd say. Uh, I agree with the optic fan one. Here's the thing. If you're MSL, like, sadly, yes, obviously, he, he has never really had the name value that probably he deserves. But I will say this. Right now, if I, again, if I was a team like Cloud9, hey, if I could pick up MSL and Config, that's the fucking start of a team right there. That's not, that yeah. ain't a bad little little move right there. That's a, that's a gamble that could be worth it. So like, I will say this about MSL. <clears throat> Nobody, and this is a great way to phrase it, nobody misrates MSL more than the people who say shit. I agree. You know what? All of us that like him as a player probably end up overrating him because every time he gets a team good and they have the upset wins and then the upset wins get more and more consistent and they maybe win even a tournament is when we're like, right, now he's going to take the step up and he's going to become a truly legendary in Gimli. He's going to become a Carrigan, a Glaive. That's, and he's never made that leap. He's never been able to actually bridge that gap. That's where he always falls back. That's where the fucking tide rolls back. And he's never made it beyond that. But the people who go the other way, and because he's not exactly a super charismatic person, and he's never really been a very front-facing person beyond his tweets, which were probably regrettable and ill-informed in many occasions. Sadly, he's been underrated criminally in many occasions. And every time he's been out of a big team, people want to be like, he was shit anyway, just throw him out, he's worthless. And every team this motherfucker's been on, you can't stop players on the team saying, yeah, he was a good in-game leader. Actually, he did a good job. He ran the team well. Like, there's almost no yeah. one in the scene who talks shit about MSL. The only person was Config, and that was mainly just, like, banter anyway, wasn't it? Like, there's no one who comes out and says he's a bad in-game leader. So I do think he's been criminally underrated, even though I'll agree at times he was criminally overrated by some of the more knowledgeable people in the scene. I think both sides of the community have to take an L on that one to some degree. But as you've seen from this team, a very competent in-game leader, a guy who up until the absolute top tier level is absolutely within his comfort zone to be a good in-game leader, to run a squad. So that you will always have a place as a, as a in terms of a career if you can be that kind of player. I agree. If you gave me the Astralis lineup and said, do you want MSL as the leader? I'd probably say no. But if you give me any other lineup than Astralis, yeah, I'd probably give it a go. I think he's, he's shown a time and time again what an underrated quality he has as an in-game leader. Yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, he's not quite there for me as one of the true greats but he ain't fucking far off i mean seriously no. like he's next in line you know so example that's like, kind of an he, underrated resume for someone who isn't a great actually yeah exactly this is what i'm saying it's like hey, look if we go through all of the great in-game leaders throughout fucking cs history you know especially if we start including like 1.6 and stuff there are going to be a lot of names ahead of msl sure. but the, re the but the reality is especially in the landscape right now as we've moved away from more in-game leader driven teams and projects msl's like pretty fucking good i mean you know maybe not great but pretty fucking good he's got a proven track record 
every team he goes to seems to improve. Um, you know, he's got his quirks, but eventually he'll be in that Hall of Fame one day. Because who yeah. else are you going to put in? Agreed. That's that that that's the reality yeah. of it. So, um, Emma, yeah, I, I I agree with you. I think MSL exists in this weird twilight where like people know he's good, but people don't want to give him the plaudits as being great. Um, and uh, yeah, that might be a little bit harsh because, uh, like I said, I think he's done great work with Optic, and hopefully they can stay together as a five and get a get a good sponsorship. Um, but uh, I, I don't know how interested the Immortals Gaming Club conglomerate are in facilitating that. There was another event this uh, weekend, and and it's important, even though I guarantee you probably didn't watch it, or maybe you didn't know what was happening. What you watched the Mocha XL Esports twenty nineteen? Who made the final? Well. Uh, oh, existence, of course. You think I don't know about this tournament? You think I'm not aware that existence oh, just outplaced fucking... loads of top players and teams? Oh, and you're all I should You know yeah. that Fury Esports? I thought, you'd, quit him. I thought you'd got over him. You know you're all riding that Fury Esports dick, don't you? I tell you who places ahead of him. Existence on land. Right, well, no, but this is this is why so, I wanted to talk about this. So, yeah, uh, Furia, right, this team that we're waxing lyrical about, amazing team, best team in Brazil, one of the most exciting young upcoming teams we've got in Counter-Strike right now. What we talked about is, because they have this unique style, this aggressive style, this style where basically, like, a lot of what Abel J does is, like, some mad sacrificial, like, suicidal component to the tactics where people are like, well, he can't really be doing that. Like this, there must be someone to trade, or it must be a, it must be an execute. Like you know, it, it puts everyone off kilter. They're just great to watch. But the question we asked is like, now that people are taking them seriously, what happens when dedicated in-game leaders and coaches and analysts start breaking down their style? And what what does their plan B look like when they get found out? Well, look, I don't know if they're a little bit tired or whatever. But when I saw this, um, you know, XL Esports 2019. Uh, event in Lisbon I looked at it and I was like you know what actually this might be better than the Dreamhack event that was sort of going on at the it's same time it's not a bad lineup of teams all in all no yeah it, I mean you had Virtus you know, Pro right doesn't look that sick but you, yeah there's some beyond yeah. that you, you had Virtus Pro there I was curious to see what the fuck's going on but since they brought in the new polls um you know you got big there Right, it was an interesting team. Yeah, I need to know where the fuck they're at, especially with all this talk about maybe Smooth, you're going back to them. You got Fury there, obviously. I'll watch them play anyone. I don't give a fuck. And then Windigo. Now we've been talking a lot about Windigo. Like you've had these, you know, uh, they're one of the high, uh, highest earning prize money teams this year. Yes, of course, uh, because of the WASG win, which was half a mil. Um, and they they've ha they've had some good results and beaten some good teams uh so yeah actually this was uh, way more appealing to me than the the dreamhack event in a lot of ways but yeah so they came up against gamer legion now gamer legion uh, we, i think as we said at the time i think even you laughed about it despite being an existence lover this is like a, it's not even a retirement home it is like just i don't know it's like the tide where bodies wash up i mean you know it's like that it's like screams in there existence is in there hs is no in rhyme there. or reason hampus is in there nork is in there it's swedes it's estonians it's belgians what the fuck is going on with this team but let me tell you if there's one guy 
I will trust to fucking disseminate your demo and find your weaknesses, its existence. And they played Furia, and they didn't just beat them. They beat them 2-0. And they beat them on... Um, uh, Inferno and Vertigo, yeah, Inferno and Vertigo, yeah. Which, um, you know, we've seen Furia be willing to play Vertigo. Yeah, yeah, leave it in there. We, we see Furia fancy themselves on Inferno. So, once again... You know, you have to take your hat off to existence and say, like, you know, th this is a guy who can do a number on these teams that have, like, unique play styles. And I just wonder if this sort of demo being out there, these two demos, particularly for these two maps, you know, Inferno being a pick by Furia, whether or not this could really start to test the metal of this team and be and be where we find out can this team get to that next level? Can they get to top five? Can they be genuine? Oh, you've content? got to figure 100% that demo must be on the computer of Zonic and Glaive. Oh, right 100%, now, yeah. 100%. Mm. Mm. Think about it, they just lost to them at a land. The first thing you're going to do when you hear they lost the series is let's get those demos immediately, break them down. If existence figured out something, beat them. Well, surely we've got even better pieces. We can destroy these motherfuckers. And, and and it's a real interesting time because remember, just as we said, who's at ESL One Cologne? Well, Furia. Yeah. Ha, this should have been a layup for them. This should have been Furia. Yeah. You know, win first tournament. It's like what you said about Avanga. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's the problem. When you have the put, that's always this way in Counter It's an interesting phenomenon. When you're a team that's like a low top ten team, and you have the big placing, you make a top four, you make a nice run. People always think, right, well, if you take that team and you put them down a level, they'll just win the tournament and they'll show that they were that. And, ah, it doesn't always work that way. Mm. Like sometimes, for example, maybe your style works better against the better teams. Maybe it's actually weaker against teams you don't know at all. Could I, I could absolutely believe that entirely. So I, I'll throw in as well. This just, again, kind of like the MSL one, this just shows the value of having legit experienced in game leaders because this isn't a team from game of legion that should be doing real damage like, it shouldn't go anywhere beyond this it should be the high point that this team ever has but as yeah. you saw when he was on ldlc as you saw now even occasional flashes on the g2 which was generally underwhelming they were still able to get these wins that their team had no business getting and have performances that had no business. And part of that's because one thing you at least do have in the team is someone who can break down opponent's demos, who can at least set up his own team, who can at least run a practice, can make sure we have a playbook of stuff to run. So I'm not going to go too ham on it, but I did think it was mm. certainly interesting for the people who are the Fury haters and wanted to see them like taken down a little peg. I also think it could end up being a great thing for them. Better to lose now in a meaningless tournament and get like kind of like rebuffed by what could happen in the scene rather than that happen when you do go head-to-head -head at ESL Cologne with, you know, one of the big names and then getting humiliated publicly. Mm. And look, here's, here's the thing that also makes me feel that this was a work by ex existence and that he was able to put on a clinic in breaking down demo because they, they fucking, they hands down just had Furia's number. Nothing that was working that we were talking about at the previous tournament at ECS with Furia was working here. Um, and honestly, Fury is a better team and has a better caliber of player and should have won, but they were just nothing, you know, just wasn't quite there. There was just some great reads and rotates. The game of Legion get to the final where they have to play Windigo, where, you know, I'm not too sure existence could think that far ahead in the tournament. They knew if they beat uh, Offset, it was, they would play Furia because of the way the tournament well, was Offset was the local team. Yeah, exactly. So I'm sure I'm sure they did as much prep as they could for a fucking local Portuguese team that, you know, 
Um, they, they might not have seen play a lot and certainly didn't have a lot of demos to draw from. I'm sure, though, they that they absolutely prepared for Furia. And then in Windigo, well... Especially well, think how many tournaments Furia's just been to. I mean, they've done like yeah, three tournaments in a row. Exactly, so on the spin. The demos exactly. to work with are yeah. mental. Meanwhile, yeah. even if Furia wanted to, what could you see from Gamer Legion? What, that shit Charloy tournament in France where they got banned yeah. or some online games? You don't even have anything to work with yourself. Yeah, so, um, and, and obviously as well at the other end, they couldn't possibly know how it was going to go in terms of who they were going to play in the finals, right? Because Virtus Pro uh, were playing big. Well, you know, that that could have been a coin toss, right? And then Windigo come in, well, who are they even playing and who's got the chance to beat them? So I, I, I think that's why they got absolutely battered in the final by Windigo um existence i just don't think he could have realistically prepared and i think honestly that's the team's true level when existence isn't micromanaging the fuck out of everyone and has demos to break down and is fully prepped for you because they got 16-3 on train and 16-8 on their map pick uh dust too uh, and windigo just looked dominant in every way shape uh and, and, and form uh, and won the whole tournament but yeah just an interesting test for furia because now it becomes not just the reality of the demos being out there and the the fact that they are mortal because they lost the ecs final and now they lost the layup at this portuguese event but also how do you bounce back when you've got the biggest tournament net, sure. the, you know the week after this so you know, pretty uh, pretty excited to see if they can bounce back or whether it's going to start making them look uh, mortal. Now, just quickly, and then we'll do questions and wrap it up. At the start of the the show, uh, we did I did talk a little bit about match fixing, and um, listen, I'm just going to bring this up again because it's it's something of mine. There was uh, the Esports Integrity Coalition. Um, I'm obviously I work w with them, kind of as a you know, consultant or representative or whatever you might want to call it. You know, I know them all very well. Um, you know, spoke at the annual uh, general meeting um, last year. Uh, I think they're doing good work in the space and trying to stamp down, you know, corrupt, stamp out corruption and, and match fixing and whatnot. They they did a press release today that basically said, you know, match fixing is up seventy five percent than than last year. Now, look, it, it, just to before we get too alarmist. That was a divide across all games. Counter Strike was the second highest uh, in in that in that game uh, of the games that were listed. But um, you know we're not talking about tier one Counter Strike, and this was based on them discovering suspicious betting patterns around Counter Strike. Now we all know no top team is going to throw a game for peanuts when they make so much money. And there's so much money coming in at the top level. Where you start having the problem is this tier two, this tier three. And there was an instance that, you know, people tweeted it at me. And I just want to give my thoughts about this without even necessarily condemning anyone or accusing um, anyone. But a lot of people uh, DM me this stuff about this team. Um, uh, I think it's pronounced Simon, like, like, but it might be Seaman, which I don't want to say. But S-Y-M-A-N. Um, and th this is like a team that certainly have shown that they're capable of, um, you know, getting decent uh, results. Uh, but they had they had one of the uh, games against uh, it was a Sparta, and their bets got cancelled uh, because of suspicious betting activity. That there was a sudden abnormal shift. And everybody suddenly backed the underdog. 
And if you go and look at some of the things that happened in, in that game, uh, it's very, very bizarre. I've got a clip, actually, <coughs> if you want to see. Now, to put it in context with, with uh, this uh, Simon team, this is a team that, you know, they, they beat uh, Windstrike, I think, recently. Like, they're, they're, they should be a capable side. So I'm not a, make, accusing them of anything. But then you um, see clips, and to me, somebody who remembers having the horror of breaking the story about I Buy Power and trying to show people clips exactly like this, um, and people going, Richard, no, they're just messing around. It's just a bit of fun. You know, like it's really eerily reminiscent of that. I even so, hear that to this day, as I've often mentioned with the whole Skadoodle angle, where I always say, So you're just cool with Skadoodle not opening that match. And they're like, Listen, Thorin, they were trying different things out at the time. He wasn't going to be the op. You know, it's like, if, if, as someone who can go that far, like, cannot be reasoned with, basically. Um, so uh, do you want to three, two, one this clip? All right. Yeah, I'm ready. So we can all watch it at the same time. Yeah. All right, three, two, one, go. Kit to speak of. So it is going to come down. Like, why is he just standing there still? There's no pro player doesn't repeat properly on that. Come on. And, you know, look, that's, that's not just... Yeah, yeah, that's not just the only moment in that game. There, It, it, is, it is fraught with other little moments if you um, go through. That's what kills me, by the way. This is what kills me about this topic, is mm. it would be one thing if... We were talking about very, very tough to judge games that were real games. Yeah. And, ah, did he really give that one? You know, that, that could easily be accounted for by a bad flash. There's two things that kill me about these match-fixing scenarios. One, the betting patterns make it blatantly fucking obvious because mm -hmm. the only way to fix right now at Counter-Strike is to have the team that's the favorite lose. So what you do is you wait till the team that's the favorite is a massive favorite, and then you go all in for the short-term gain of the big-time bet. That's immediately a very worrying sign because it makes it seem very blatant. And then secondly, the sheer number of times that exact number one scenario happens, and then I look at the game and I see ridiculous clips like this, it's like, why do both have to happen? Like, they, they, like what that tells you, by the way, is nobody's hiding it because nothing happens to them. They can do whatever the fuck they want. Nobody is watching. Nobody's coming. That's the problem. There will always be match fixing in every sport and every discipline. It's just normally they at least have to be smart about it. They at least have to like find a game where like maybe we can have this 60-40 team losing. The betting's reasonable so we can put our cheeky bet in. They at least do it smart. When they do it like this, they're just being blatant. Yeah, it's... Listen, and again, I'm not saying it definitely was. Uh, but like you say, it's got the hallmarks of like weird clips like this. It's got it's both got, of those factors going yeah, hard. Yeah, it's at got the, same the massive. Time. Like I say, when when a, when a betting platform like Pinnacle um, decides to basically uh, cancel all the bets, which would I, remember in a legit game be the their dream bet is someone is that loads of idiots want to bet on the underdog. That's yeah. their dream. That's how they make money. Yeah, so, um, I mean, look, and I've said this multiple times as well. Events like this shouldn't be on a betting platform. 
They just shouldn't Agreed. be. Team, teams like can't Simon. Control and, it. Yeah. Teams like Simon and Esparta playing in the loot.bet smack my beach CIS qualifier. So a qualifier for a very small tournament anyway should not be on any betting platform. These games are the ones that get fixed. Yeah, we're all laughing at Smack My Beach. No, That's God, just God bless that company that still fought in 2019. Smack My Beach. Yeah, why yeah. not? Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Smack My yeah, Beach no. Cup, lads. Smack My Beach <laughs> Cup. Beach Cup. <laughs> yeah, it's unacceptable, isn't it? Um, but yeah, you, you know what I mean? It's like, it, it's, it's ridiculous that... You know, these games are on betting platforms. They shouldn't be. All the recommendations from ESIC, all the recommendations from any mainstream sports lawyer is that you mustn't offer cash betting on these games because these are the ones that get fucking tampered with. Um, and and listen, I wrote an article a long time ago back when I was working on a, a website that, you know, we shouldn't talk about. Yeah, I fucking hit the Daily Dot. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> Uh, it was the other one. It was the other extremists, <laughs> apparently. Um, but yeah, got, got him. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, uh, I wrote an article there where I was like saying, and this was back when, I don't know if you remember, we had all the German motherfuckers from Killerfish. Do you remember, yes. remember those guys? Yep. And it was all the German guys. And it was like every week they'd be in a game where it's like, that motherfucker's cheating. That motherfucker's, <laughs> yeah. Oh, look at the betting patterns here. Look at all the skins, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, it, 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 and I just said like, you do realize that you don't need to prove these guys 100% guilty to ostracize them. You don't, like, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I am not talking about punishing them. I'm not talking about banning them. I'm just saying if these motherfuckers sign up to your tournament, just say, nah, you're all right, actually. You're all right. It's not worth the headache. They're not the only ones. The Hungarian motherfuckers, uh, whose name escapes me right now, they were another one. Everywhere they went, it fucking stank underdog losses or you know all the time weird clips germans the same you know cheating to win against higher fucking caliber players losing against dog shit teams in suspicious circumstances that's also like, another hallmark is obviously if you throw games all the time you never get the odds and you wouldn't be able to do it you have to be so good when you're not throwing that the, yeah. that the odds go mental in your favor and then mysteriously you always lose to the mad underdog yeah and and all the while, everybody like in my network were telling me, Rich, look at the fucking way the odds have shifted on CSGO Lounge or, you know, whatever the betting platform was. And I'm like, well, what do you want me to do? You know, you know I've I always had a theory as well, Rich, that I'll throw in as well, is mm. the other reason why someone who was smart who wanted to rig games wouldn't get caught is they would do it on big games that have so much betting that even their betting would get somewhat covered, so it would never be mad skew. But that's what's so bad. I even think this is just a theory, pure speculation. I think part of what makes these ones egregious is I have always found that people who are going to do something unethical, they want other people in any capacity involved because they feel like it like shares the blame or like, oh, well, they're doing it as well. So I've always felt like what happens here is the players who themselves know the game's going to get fixed just tell all their friends and they think, whatever, everyone will benefit. You know, it's a way to like mentally put past that you're fucking someone over. And so if you even just did a small bet and won off it every time, it'd be way harder to track. But it's always like ridiculous. It's like a game that like people wouldn't be betting on anyway and suddenly everyone's betting it's on the underdog. Like how blatant do you want to make it in that case? Mm, yeah it's not smart it's not even an intelligent way to match fix so yeah just um yeah you know uh just to sort of talk about what eSick are looking to do here um and uh like i i wanted to go and uh, attend they've got this um big uh 
conference, the match fixing summit, where they're talking about it with esports. It would have been great to attend, um, but it, it comes at a time when I've just accepted this new job, so all my visa paperwork's going through. So you got to um, not travel for a little bit. But um, some of the things they're proposing are that they want to get improved funding from esports stakeholders like tournament organizers, developers, uh, so they can basically get specialist investigators. So, well, you know, instead of relying on fucking investigative journalists, there will be actual people who investigate betting patterns, match fixing, you know, in, in intelligence and leads, which I think would be really good. They also want to give, uh, you know, more educational aspects to it. Now, obviously, in the case of throwing a game, I think players understand that that, that, that is wrong, but, yes. you know, maybe they're not aware of the consequences. But what's interesting is we just had a case in football, you know, Paul Scholes. You know, when he was a manager, he was a manager at a, a smaller team and he was betting on like Man United games, didn't realize that was against FA rules. Well, it is. Yes. If you're in any involved in football in any way, because you might have insider information and could skew, you know, and can uh, bet in a way that's unfair. You know, it's it's against their rules. They completely have a blank. And also balance. who the fuck would bet on Man United in the last five years? <laughs> yeah, <whatever>. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so he should, um, you know, so yeah, he got fined £8,000 for that. It was small. He had to issue an apology. But uh, but I think there are, there are players out there that don't realize, you know, you're placing bets on games while you're a player. Um, and, I, and I know lots of players have done this, and uh, especially at lower levels. That's something that they need to be educated about and what the consequences can be if that's ever exposed publicly. Might very well be down the road. Valve might take a very hardline stance on people who've done that. And that would really be a Pandora's box. Um, and also as well, they want to sort of organize a crackdown on the unregulated skins and unlicensed betting sites, which is another thing I'm obviously passionate about. It was why we we took a long time before we decided to go with Rivalry because we wanted to make sure they had all their paperwork, they were licensed in the right countries, that they had you know uh, an oversight committee and all of that stuff. So um, I'm very interested to see what's going to happen there. It's actually taking place in Malta which is a, a great place for it because obviously that's where a lot of the um, gambling companies are based. So it's going to be very interesting to see what comes out of that. And I'm sure I'll be sent a sort of report or a debrief or whatever you want to call it. But but ba basically, I think for now, until we get something solid in place, we all know who's fucking bullshit and who isn't. We all know when there's too much smoke for there not to be a fucking fire there. And I'm not saying we punish them and I'm not saying we ban them. But, you know, if you're running a small tournament and you see these teams sign up, if you don't start rejecting their applications, I'm going to think you're fucking in on it, mate. Because I'm sick and tired of these tiny little cups having these same little cuntish teams in, wrecking everybody, and all the community knows what they're doing. And it's obvious when you watch a replay or a demo, because these fuckers know, well, we're never going to play in a major, so who gives a fuck? Yeah, you know, if you're a tournament organizer and you're letting these <coughs> habitual teams come into your tournaments, you're sort of complicit in that. So it's time to put up the front and say, fuck you, you don't get to play. Maybe it only takes six months of you all doing that for these guys to be like, well, fucking hell, now we can't even make any money off throwing fucking games. I'd rather go back to playing straight, please. You know, just take a stand. Right. Let's do the questions. Uh, Reykjavik on Steam. $100 patron says the current YouTube trend is to cre uh, is creating tier lists of various things for ultimate viewing figures. What would be the tier list of notable CS teams at their respective peaks from the good old days up to today? So I'm guessing he wants to know who was sort of the most 
the the team that had the best box office basically is a way of putting that oh like the most popular team well yeah the the the, the team that would you know oh oh does he wait hang on because this is bad, it's badly worded Reykjavik. i love you i'm just trying to figure out what you actually mean here if you're in the chat explain because it says for ultimate viewing figures what would be the tier list so in other words like what's team? the most clickbait top five i guess yeah. youtube thing right so okay. like you like won't a, believe how good this yes team was the most money peak. team yeah like... right okay uh, well, that's what, that's actually an interesting question because obviously, for example, like the classic Fnatic team with Olaf, Meissner and Flush was famously actually somewhat vilified. So I don't even know if they would be the top. Like every, if everyone remembers, actually Nip was like Sweden's team, not Fnatic bizarrely. So they, yeah. they wouldn't be there. Uh, I'd have to go ahead and assume like the fucking Brazilians must be very high on this list since they have such a rabid fan base. They're going to be up there, right? Cloud9, obviously, when they're at their peak, I'm sure they had fucking a billion viewers. They were a very, very popular team. Yeah. Including the Sean Gares lineup, like the summer 2015 one, I assume would be very, very popular. Mm. Virtus Pro got to be immediately because I yeah. always said with Virtus Pro, the thing about them that was so interesting was they would have had a big viewer base anyway, be from coming from Poland, a big country, but they had an even bigger one because everyone loved their style of play. And because they always made for amazing matches and great rivalries, I always felt like every country supported their team and then Virtus Pro second. That's why every game was like a bloody home game for them. They were loving it. So VP got to be really high up the list. Yeah. Who else in Counter-Strike? But Nip, obviously original NIP. Yeah, they, original they, NIP. They held on for many years just because they had the core players, didn't they? Got to be well. If you want to go be in old CS, there's loads of teams. I think they're the CS core teams that come to mind. You know, I don't know if they were around long enough, but I, you know, I guess across the various iterations... I always felt like people, the Frenchies were always like really fucking popular, weren't they? They all did a decent, like put it this way, like yeah, especially obviously Back the, in the uh, days LDLC and, and yeah, stuff. The yeah, LDLC, they, yeah, they always had like a, a decent contingent. Again, probably because they had a very, uh, I mean, their playing style was it was fun to watch, right? Mm. They just went fucking balls deep. It was pretty cool. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think if there's any like sort of ones that should be inexplicably there. Because I mean, again, like. You know, commensurate to their skill, that old Cloud9 team that had the vests, they were ridiculously popular considering they weren't sure. that good. I mean, because they never won a tournament, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, definitely never won a tournament. Stink. Who else would be? That original King oh. Win team ages ago when they yeah, first the put King Scream that... and Rain. Was, the King yeah, Win that became G2 and then became. Uh, the novelty right. alone made that. Uh, well, everyone was following them. That was a team that was specifically designed for that, though. Like, even oh, sure. they even said we went out and we just picked up a bunch of players <clears> that all had like popular followings. So, so yeah. And then <laughs> someone says Gambit because of the Doge. I can't get over fucking X God. I can't. Okay. There's no way. I mean, he's mentally popular considering. I still say it to this day. I don't understand. I don't understand how some medieval peasant hurled into the modern day. Uh, is as popular he, as he's is. an example of me magic yeah oh like, yeah, I, don't, I don't think people actually understand when he was an amazing cs player he had way less fame and interest than when he was just a meme that's mm. the ridiculous part about yeah him. like this guy by the way if you make a hall of fame of russian counter-strike he'd be one of the, he'd be first ballot like he was yeah. one point in time like the best player they'd produce so but oh, yeah. not, not at any point when any of the memes were around those were years later <laughs> yeah it's it's it's, it's wild but uh, hopefully that sort of answers the question. Uh, and uh, thanks again for supporting the show, uh, Reykjavik. Big, 
big fan of you being a big fan of us. Uh, Jerky's Minion, uh, another $100 uh, patron, uh, says, will the prestige of the Masters tournament change now that the winners of DreamHack Open will be getting an invite to the, to the Masters, or will it help the DreamHack tournaments get more attention once again? That's uh, a good question. I think for me, personally, I think we can all see what's been happening to the non-Masters tournaments at DreamHack. I mean, they've become very... Uh, you know, poor in terms of attendance from top tier teams. And I in look and it's I mean you just pointed out there, mate, essentially yeah. that Mochi XL tournament had like a comparable field of teams. Yeah. That exactly. was supposed to be a joke tournament. And and you know, I look, it there, there are a lot of things going on with that. I mean, you know, first of all, we have got a pretty stuffed calendar. As I said, I think the one mainstream CSGO brand that gets hurt the most by refreshes shenanigans is DreamHack, honestly. Sure. I mean, they're the one that that definitely takes the biggest hit. But people were already opting out of DreamHacks anyway, and I'll tell you why. This is not often talked about. I might have brought it up on another show, um, but I don't say it often. It is. It remains an anachronism because back in the day, a DreamHack winter or a DreamHack summer, it used to be like a pilgrimage. It used to be this thing you went to because it was this huge <coughs> gaming convention back when gaming wasn't all that big. And it didn't matter. It was in the arse end of nowhere. Jönköping is basically the fucking Bible Belt of Sweden. It's like no liquor, you know, fucking fields everywhere, fishermen. You know what I mean? I it's didn't like get food in the night either. Yeah, you yeah. Can't even fly no, anywhere close. Yeah, like so. What you have to do is typically to get to Jon Sherpin, you have to fly into fucking Stockholm, right? You have to uh, you have to get a fucking one of them overnight coaches to get there. Which, by the way, the coaches are pretty fucking sick in Sweden. You they get power, shit. yeah, yeah, yeah power shit. cable, internet. It's legit, right? And then it's like I don't know, however many hours it is, you get there, you get to Jon Sherpin, you've still got to make it to the venue. Forget that. I mean, t the taxis are fucking scarce. It's not a place that has Uber. Um, it's very awkward. Expensive as fuck as well for those taxis. Yeah. But oh, it was costing like 120 yeah. a day. It's Sweden. Sweden. To go like yeah, two it's miles, but it was mental. Yeah, it's Sweden and it's the rural part of Sweden. I mean, put it this way, a 10-minute taxi is about fucking 60 quid. Easy, man. It was outrageous. Yeah, Should have been wearing yeah. a fucking striped jump and not a fucking mask, but because he was robbing yeah. me daily. Yeah. So, you know, so you've got all that to factor in. Now, maybe that doesn't affect you too much if you're a professional team, right? But then you've only really got the one hotel option, by the way, uh, which is that one that's right opposite the venue. With Scandic, the walking distance. Yeah, which is yeah, cheap either, I'm telling you that. Which oh. is not fucking cheap Another Robin. Yep, and, and they know it is the prime location for DreamHack. Oh, that is very much reflected in their prices. And you've got to get there pretty quick to make sure you get the, the, the rooms there or you're staying in a fucking bed sit, taxi drive away, and and you get fucking robbed blind. So um, it is it is super expensive. And let's be real, in terms of exposure for esports, kind of becoming less and less important to go, less and less relevant, right? Yeah. So um, so all of that is really factored into why teams, it's only teams that are like, we're never going to win anything else. This is at least a chance. I've noticed any time you ever get a good team there, it's because the good team's on a downward spiral and cynically they think, get mm. some good exposure, win an event, you know, beat up a few smaller teams. We'll be, we'll be you know, just what the doctor's ordered. No one's going there because they think it's going to be added to a list of great trophies won. That, that's yeah. long, long gone at this point in time. Yeah, and, and like I say, so it's a combination of things. Now, DreamHack 
tomorrow could make it so everybody puts themselves through the fucking, you know, what used to be your fun. You know, back when you first get into esports, you got your first Dream Act. All of the sure. stuff I've just described is quite quaint and interesting. 10th or 12th time you've fucking done it, it's just a fucking nightmare. And, you you know, you just, why am I putting myself through this again? Um, but Dream Act can change that tomorrow if they decide to make it a million-dollar tournament. All the top teams go again. Sure. No problem. But the money isn't there for them right now to warrant that. And it's very much they want the DreamHack Masters to become the flagship. Yep. They're all right with actually the Onshirping. The Onshirping relationship is an anachronism that goes back to Robert Olin, who identified it as a place that had nothing going on yes. and would really benefit from a huge LAN event there. And, you know, that's why they gave him the key to the city. It bolsters the esports side and that, and that festival should basically yeah. be separate things at this point in time. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, and I don't think that harms esports at all. And oh. I think it would actually give DreamHack more freedom to pursue some more interesting uh, stuff. I mean, we're always seeing how they have, you know, interesting like bands and artists there. And there's always been a musical component component to it, you know. But like maybe it, you know, PewDiePie's attended a DreamHack Winter on a couple of occasions. I think I met him at one. So it's like it's an anachronism. I think it has no, uh, you know, no place really being involved in esports anymore. It's very clear DreamHack value the Masters brand more. It's attached to the IEM stuff, uh, you know, the Intel sponsorship. Uh, the Grand so, yeah. Slam and all that, yeah. Yeah, the Grand Slam, exactly. So, I mean, that is that is where we, we should be driving it. So, doing it this way uh, is basically a way to, um, you know, get an additional team airlifted, like one of those teams who sort of took the risk and was willing to support the lesser event. I don't really have a problem with that. But honestly, I think the best thing to do would, at this point would just be put a pin in the summer and the winter of esports e e events, honestly. I don't, I don't know how much it would hurt their bottom line. I don't think much if you put in, like, other stuff. Uh, anyway, but Pounder 420, because, of course, $100 patron. Now that Daps is out of NRG, uh, would he make a good fit to help Cloud9 uh, rebuild? Um, so, I mean, obviously, we, I think we talked about this a little bit, but we can answer it in a bit more explicit detail. Um, I mean, look, they haven't had a real in-game leader for a while, not in the Daps mold. Um, and it's something that I think they should try. Um, you know, Golden clearly hasn't worked out. You know, they even tried other options. You know, when Flusher was in-game leading for a bit, that didn't work out. Um, I, I, I really rate Daps. I think Daps has a great mind for the game. It's like it's like what we joked about He's last the NAMSL. There you go. Yeah, yeah to, to a degree. But, but, of course, MSL's a ruthless little cunt. That's and true. Daps and Daps is completely the opposite. Yeah, he, he, Daps is the guy where it's like, oh, I love you all so much. Can't cut any of you. I guess it'll have to be me again. Yeah. Like, Whereas like MSL kind of goes, I like you the best of them all, and that's yeah. why I'm going to cut you to send them. Yeah. He's like fucking Kaiser yeah. Soze or some shit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so yeah. I will show this team a feat of will. <laughs> yeah. So so it's 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 wild that. But I but I think I think it's a step in the right direction. I'm a big admirer of Daps. Um, I think he has a great mind for the game. I think he has a great eye for talent. I think he understands systems. I think he has a good way of calling. Uh, now the question becomes. How does Daps rub up against some of the egos in the team? And let me give you a bold prediction. I think he's going to turn Rush around. I think it's going to be a breath of fresh air for Automatic. I think they're immediately going to click. I think if this Tens kid comes in, it's perfect. It's just like NRG all over again. Cajuns on thin fucking ice. Cajun and Daps, I don't think that's going to click. So...
my opinion. No, no, I like I would say the the main problem you have there is that Cage and B's personality would run absolute roughshod all over Daps. Like he would have no yeah. and what grounds would Daps have to even chastise him? Like this is a guy who's older than you, could accomplish more than you, literally is used to most of his career being dicking on teams that you're in. Like you're gonna have a hard one on that one. I agree though, the other ones would all seemingly just fit. Like they'd all be open to it. Like at this point, Daps is coming to them. In a positive light, they'd be looking at him going, hey, he could do a lot of things here. And again, that's why I'd also contrast him with MSL. He's probably not going to take you to the major, but at the moment, he could get you back to the promised land. He could get you back in that top 10. He could get you back in position where you sign the other people who won't mind playing with him. And then one day, you can bring in either Pet and you can kick Daps as well, maybe bring in Stanislaw. So the route's always there at any point in time. If you want to get Stanislaw, just get Daps first. That's like you warm him up. You know, he's the fluffer. He's Stanislaw's yeah. fluffer. And not and not to mention not not, not to Leave mention <laughs> yeah not not to mention um you know look there's been a lot of stuff linking um Sonny with Cloud9 before uh I'd like to see that now, with fucking daps in the team, mate. Yeah, give, give me give me automatic Sonny Cage and B daps. I'll, that's that's a team right there. Let's go, let's go. Um so you know, we, we've we've that that's been floated. I think somebody tweeted some shit out today. I haven't had a chance to check, but whatever. So hopefully that answers your question. Uh, Benakagi Assassin says, excluding Chinese CS, what do you think have been the main contributors as to why Southeast Asia and Far East countries, um, such as MVP, Team NXL, Lucid Dream from Thailand, Boot Dream, um, Scape from Singapore, Orange Esports from Malaysia, have been unable to produce a tier one tournament winning team. I mean, well, okay, first of all, let's just produce a consistent top 20 team, right? I mean, that, that were yeah. the ba baby steps. Why haven't they been able to do that? It comes down to, um, in my opinion, um, from having been to some of these countries and knowing people from these uh, uh, countries, it's the game just isn't culturally relevant in the same way it is in a lot of the countries that produce top tier teams. Um, and this for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, the, the penalties in CSGO especially for having uh, low-performance computers and low-end rigs, which you might find in countries that don't necessarily have the same distribution of, of wealth as other countries, um, is, is the penalties are far, far greater. Like, if you have 40 FPS and you're trying to play CSGO, then if you have 40 FPS and you're trying to play Dota 2 and some of these other games... I'll even throw in as well, by the way, one of the best things a game like League of Legends has going for it is... You can just play on whatever mouse is there. It doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. Like, you'll still be fairly close to your level. Exactly. Everyone knows in Counter-Strike, you got to have your mouse, you got to have a keyboard, you got to have everything set up. It's 10 times harder to get a comfortable feel than all those games you're talking about. Yeah, and 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 on top of that, right, you, you, you know, like you say, it's not just... Um... You know, it's 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 not just the PC, as you say. You've got to buy performance enhancing. You need a mouse that's precise and in tune with you. Also, as well, a lot of these places uh, culturally, they don't do their gaming at home. They do their gaming at LAN cafes. It's a social thing. You, it also represents more value for money um, sure. in, in in some cases because you can play a pay a very small amount and play all day. And you'll find in a lot of these countries that's actually the culture. And it's not just a thing about you know. Know, ah, you're making stereotypes about underdeveloped countries. Sure. No, not at all, because they do this in South Korea, which is a very developed country. Duncan's lived there and, and seen it himself. The PC bank culture is a very real thing. But but also as well, the, it's not just because of performance <coughs> issues and all of the level of dedication, the fact you require specific equipment to be a good pro. It's that there were actually 
low there were actually alternatives that were big in Asia because CSGO wasn't you know, CS didn't get exported there until sort of just very the vacuum late. got filled. Yeah, exactly. They had their own like crossfire and, and stuff like this. But also as well, people want to be able to get that value for money um when they say, Hey, I'm committing to eight hours playing in a land cafe. So they want to play something that has, you know, a recognized legal ladder. Counter Strike never used to have that. Um so, you know, or an MMO. So MMOs became unbelievably popular, you know, Ragnarok and, and stuff like this. Stuff where just like limitless progression and grind became super popular. And that's where people dedicated their time. Now in the modern era, where maybe that trend's moving away, well, PUBG is huge uh, out in Asia. Um, and not necessarily all of these countries, because that's still a high-performance game. Although, again, the penalties for low performance in PUBG aren't as severe as uh, as they are in, in CSGO. But that really took off. And also, I mean, just in South Korea especially, like, CSGO's got no chance of even breaking into the top five uh, games in a PC bang. I couldn't even tell you what they are, but I know, like, Overwatch is, like, fourth. And FIFA is like third, and League of Legends is clearly number one, and then it's probably like StarCraft, right? So how do you break into that? You know, those games have become part of the cultural fabric of of, of these countries. There's no room; like you're just playing too much catch up, and as a result, nobody pitches the game to them. You have to understand like cultural sensibilities as well about running around and banging people's heads off with AKs. It doesn't always translate in countries, especially where you might see shit like that, like real shit like that. So, um, yeah, it's, there's lots of nuance going on as to why CSGO hasn't become um, particularly popular in, in certain countries. But, but again, there are some on the come up. Um, you know, the Emiratis, they don't mind. They're all right with it. They're actually wanting to have a big push in, uh, in Counter-Strike, and it nearly happened on a few, t uh, a few times. Even going back to CGS, where we nearly had a franchise in Dubai called Dubai Mirage. So... Um, it just never came about, uh, but that was a plan for expansion, and we've already had ESL out there. So, you know, that could be a, a, a bold new frontier. But ultimately, while the question's an interesting one, it's really nigh on impossible to, to answer. But all of those factors stop people playing the game. The less people playing the game, the less talent you have coming through would be sort of my summary. I mean, by the way, Valve themselves would very much like Couchstrike to be big in those countries in theory, it's just they haven't done any of the steps, as I've pointed out many times, to go ahead and do that. Like, they don't seem to care about the different distribution method, having to work with certain local partners might be something they don't want to do since they used to making all the money themselves from Steam. There's a million factors, unfortunately, and then I'd throw in that, yes, the difference is, in case you don't follow those games, in Dota 2 and League of Legends, Southeast Asia and Far East is very relevant. Like they have some yeah. of the better teams, sometimes even better than some Western teams. So I would also just say not the game they're super into, really. So yeah, it's, it's, and, and, it's and easier it's to say why they haven't than what they could do to do it, put it that way. Yeah, and, it, and it's it's really interesting, actually, because um, a lot of like League of Legends will very often... Um, get credit for being like the free to play yep. pioneer but honestly in in uh, asia especially you, nexon will put in out loads oh, of free games yeah that's yeah, part like, of the pc culture cafe as well because think about it right what yeah. better way to get your game played if yours is free to play yeah exactly you don't even and, have and to they, own them a game you can just be on any machine 
free to free to play and and grind concepts uh, were, were were going on for fucking years before the West even yeah. saw them, and we we obviously just put our own unique spin on them. But Nexon were sort of the pioneers of that business model. Um, if you want to go and look up your history, it's super interesting. Uh, right, okay, I think that's us. I think that's all the questions. And thanks to all the people who ask questions, because of course you are patrons of the show. And thanks to all the other patrons that didn't ask questions, which of course you're going to be entitled to. If I read your name off this list, you're entitled to ask a question on the show. Uh, it's uh, $100 patrons, Jerky's Minion, Detlef Insomniac, Rickovic on Steam, Mikhail Alex Ragnarsson, and Book Pounder 420. Our $50 patrons, Marcus Kiumpa, TC Owen Sardzwa, Watch Doge, Carve, Madsen, Colin Penny, and Benakagi Assassin. So... There we have it. Uh, thanks a lot, Duncan. Great to catch up. You too, Sam. Uh, thanks to all of you for tuning in, all the people who uh, subscribed as well, which I could hear was jumping off. Appreciate that. We'll be back roughly next week, probably talking about EPS and getting hyped for ESL1 Cologne. Uh, so until then, take care of yourselves.